Welcome to Super Agents Live. This is the one place where you can come and hear the most successful people in real estate. You'll hear how these super agents built their businesses, how they stay productive, and how they stay motivated. Who am I? My name's Toby Salgado, and I made my first million in real estate. And I'm your host for the next 30 minutes while we talk to yet another amazing real estate entrepreneur. Stay tuned. Let's go! Ladies and gentlemen, guys and gals, hey, welcome to Super Agents Live. Thanks for tuning in. I know your time is super valuable, so I am really appreciative you come and spend some with me. Hey, look, today on the show, man, I've been having all the big trainers in the real estate world come on. We've had Mike Ferry, we've had Tom Ford, we've had Bob Corcoran. Today's guy is a guy that... uh He's actually got a really big, big platform. I didn't know how big this guy was until um, we actually started talking. So his name is Tim Harris. If you don't know who Tim is, you should go and uh, and look him up. Um, today is kind of a first, right? So our show runs long. It always runs long. You know, it's always I, you know, in my in my pre uh, my music, I'm like, hey, for the next thirty minutes, you're gonna spend time with. It's never 30 minutes. I feel like, I feel like actually it takes me, you know, 15 to 20 minutes to really break into that person and, and get them going. And most of the time, the ends of our, my episodes, my interviews are, are, that's where the fire's at, man. We might get some meat in the beginning, but the fire, you know, that's when I can wrangle them up. So today is part one of a two part session. Tim and I, Spend two hours on the phone. And look, at the end of our first hour, I was like, dude, we got to wrap it up. I know there's more. And he's like, let's go part two. Part two. And I'm like, let's do it. So that's what we did. All right. So uh, before we get to it, if you're new, hashtag for the show. It's our hashtag. We own it. Unpack that idea. If you listen to the show, I say it all the time. I'm like, look, unpack that for me. I don't let people get away with just telling me something. I'm like, unpack it. I make them like break it down and find out what's meaningful for you. So if you use that, if you tweet that hashtag out, it's a big follow train. You'll get new followers. I'll follow you. And, and seriously, people have gotten, uh, I talked to one girl and she said, I, I use the hashtag and I got, she added like 300 followers. So we have a very, uh, Active tribe on Twitter. Uh, so I'd love to see you there. All right. Hey, let's get to part one. Tim Harris on the show today. Today's guest is a coach that many of you in the audience has recommended to me. I've heard consistently that this guy's authentic and a real time coach, whatever that means. He's come up on my radar over and over and I knew I had to get him on the show. I am thrilled to welcome Tim Harris of Tim and Julie Harris.com. Hey, Tim, thanks for taking the time out today. Hey, Toby, I've been looking forward to this, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. We are, man. Hey, so you and I, we've had a few offline conversations, um, and uh, again, that's another reason why I knew I had to get you on the show. T- take a minute. You have a, an interesting background, an interesting, rich career. Take a minute. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then, uh, and then what you do. Well, I mean, Julie and I have been in the real estate industry our entire adult lives, basically, We've been married this year for 23 years. I only mention that because almost all 23 of those years we've been in the real estate industry. We bought our first house while we were still in college, and from that experience, we sort of had the epiphany, well, that didn't seem like a lot of work, and, you know, so we thought, well, let's not worry about pursuing our ambitions of, you know, being English majors, and we finished up with college, and we, you know, got right into the real estate business, and our first year in the business, 
And if I'm being honest, it was not by design. It was basically almost on accident. We sold over 100 houses. It was 103 houses. Now, this was back in our early 20s. This was in Columbus, Ohio. We didn't list a subdivision or we didn't somehow get lucky and you know work with some investor that gave us a million transactions. This was one unit after another. This is one you know, one home buyer, one home seller after another. Uh, and it was like August or September. This is a true story. August or September, Julie and I were literally sitting outside of a movie theater in Dublin, Ohio. And we started adding up on like the back of a napkin, trying to remember how many houses we sold. And we came up with a number of like, I don't remember what it was, 75 or something. And we called our broker. It was at night. R- Rory Averill of Remax North, fantastic broker. If you guys are in Columbus, Ohio, and you're looking for a brokerage, I cannot recommend Rory any more than, you know, I'm I, I just, he's fantastic. And by the way, he's fantastic because his, his management style is leave you alone, let you learn from your own mistakes, and, you know, win your own successes. So we call up Rory and we say, hey, Rory, you know, what is expected for the average agent to sell per year? And we had no idea. You know, we kept our heads down. We hadn't been hanging out with other agents. We hadn't been going to conferences. We hadn't been doing anything. We'd just basically been, you know, one sale at a time, working our way through. So he asked us, the conversation was very brief. He goes, how many houses have you sold so far? And I think we said 75 or whatever the number was. And he goes, call me back when you get to 100. Then he just hung up on us. Holy smokes. <laughs> yeah, but it was awesome, though, because we didn't know 75 was good or 100 was great. We didn't know any of those things. So he said, okay, we went and watched our movie, and then, you know, we, we eclipsed 100, and then word started, you know, creeping out that what we had done, just different things. And one thing led to another, led to another, and then we were, you know, Howard Brenton Stars, National Association of Realtors, has, over the years, they did two, you know, really nice stories on us. We did a speaking tour back, and after this happened, we wrote a book called Zero to Ten Million in One Year. We did all these other types of things uh, after that, and really by accident, People started asking us, now this was back in the 90s, agents started asking us, will you, it was called shadowing then. This was even before there was real formalized coaching. So, you know, will, can, you, can we shadow you? So they'd come out and spend the day with us. And then one day we were Howard Brinton stars and we were at this Howard Brinton event. And Howard was up on stage announcing his new, you know, God rest his soul. He was announcing his new coaching program. Julie and I were in the back of the room, you know, wearing our, any of you guys who know about Howard Brinton stars, we always, the stars always were black polo shirts. So we're in the back of the room and are sweating our butts off in our black polo shirts. And uh, I remember Howard said, I'm doing this coaching program. It's going to be this and it's going to be that. And those of you who are interested, I'm about to take a break. Come up and give me your business card. But I remember the audience was maybe 1,500 people. Like 1,500 people just mobbed Howard on stage. <laughs> this is Howard saying he wanted to take on like 20 or 30 personal clients. He got mobbed. Well, at that event, People started approaching agents. The attendees started approaching Julie and I, asking us, "Will you guys consider uh, coaching me?" And I thought, "Well, okay, we'll give it a try." And then quickly, um, now this was probably about ninety-eight, I'm guessing ninety-eight, ninety-nine. That business, to no fall of our own, just basically took off. Honestly, and it's, it's almost—it was almost an accident because we didn't really think, we didn't really have the thought. Well, let's be real estate coaches. It just sort of happened organically and, and blossomed from there. That's really how it happened. There's no real incredible, you know, story behind it. It was basically by accident. But since then, we were able to grow it and mature it. And, and uh, you know, we've had thousands and thousands of realtors as coaching students. Yeah. No, you, so let's, that's interesting. So number one, when you were selling real estate, uh, you had no frame of reference, whether 75 was good or not. Um, I, Although you were very deliberate in going out and selling that 75, um, 
what what are some of the things? I mean, what what made you? How did you guys do that? Well, I think really what you're asking is what was our motivation, right? Um, yeah, we can talk about motivation, but really, I'm talking about mechanically because you know, again, I see this very deliberate thing on this side, right? Selling the 75 houses. Okay, you know, I, I'm sorry, I understand your question. Okay. Yeah, okay. The number one thing was really kick-ass lead follow-up. Honestly, got it. That was the main thing. Lead follow-up. We started using an IVR service called uh, 1800homehotline.com. We started, you know, basically we started forming the real estate system now that we use other, that we coach other agents to. But we were able to identify what well, we made a list of, Toby, was all the things that basically come up in a listing presentation or prior to the listing presentation that were kind of, you know, stress events, right? So a seller will ask you, why should I list my house with you? The seller will ask, cut your commission. The seller will ask all these types of questions. And so we write all, wrote all these things down. And then what we did is uh, really at, at that point, you know, through getting to know people around the country who are always also top producers because Remax had flown us out to Colorado and, you know, we did this speaking thing at RSN and from, uh, from back when RSN was around. And anyway, we started uh, meeting all these other top producers and we saw how they did their businesses. And we started essentially employing some of their best practices idea and we brought those back to Columbus. So we were able to basically offer our marketplace, the sellers specifically in our marketplace, um, USPs, which stands for Unique Selling Propositions, which is you know a term from Ross or Reeves. We started offering those in such a way that we were very compelling. So I think what we did, number one, is great lead follow-up. Number two, we were offering something unique to the marketplace, as we still are in our coaching business, ironically. Um, and number three, honestly, Julie and I, back then and still now, are just hard workers. We just really are very focused on goals, very focused on really enjoying life. And really to enjoy life, you have to have money. <laughs> but the, the irony of it, the, the bottom line was back then when our first year in the business, we were just trying to pay off our student loans. And we had, you know, $30,000 in student loans. I'd gone to Ashland, Otterbein, and Ohio State. And, you know, we just wanted to pay off our student loans. So we, we earned hundreds of thousands of dollars our first year in the business. And we had the money, obviously, to pay off our student loans. True story. We go to our back in the backyard. I get some wire fluid. <laughs> I threw a batch on the student loan books, and the things wouldn't burn. That's the truth. <laughs> They're coated with some kind of paper that was supposed to prevent them from burning. But anyway, that's weird. So that was an, it. Was it was a motivate? It was a combination of hard work, yeah. offering something unique to the marketplace, great lead follow up, and really a burning desire to make something really great of ourselves. And we knew we could do it. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, f reaching your own potential. But look, at the end of the day, right? It's that hustle, and that is a thing. It, you and I talked offline, and and it, when it, when it comes to selling real estate, there's really nothing new, right? I mean, all it, it comes down to really kind of the same kind of basic things in a lot of ways. It's the hustle that you can't teach people. Um, you, you, throughout your career in coaching people, it, 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 how do you? Toby, I think you can teach people that, to okay. be honest with you. Okay. You have to basically, and I'll tell you, it's something, you just touched on something that is a real hallmark of um, a really awesome topic, and I'll, help, I'll kind of go through it quick for the sake of time. Many agents don't want to be perceived as being salespeople. I went through this back when Julie and I were in her early 20s. I totally get it. You know, you're worried that if you're overly, and the words that agents use when, I don't want to seem overly aggressive, or I don't want to seem all these sort of negative, you know, descriptors. But the reality of it is, it's just the opposite of what we think. So you can teach someone to hustle. For example, you make your own lead follow-up rules. And one of the things we teach our coaching students, for example, it was when you get a lead in from, say, 1-800-HOME-HOTLINE or any kind of lead, you follow up with them 
immediately, right? You know, the exception being is if, with, if you're another, with another client. But that immediate lead follow-up, Toby, makes all the difference. And if you don't mind, I can take you through a real quick script that yeah. agents seem to really – okay. Love it. All right, so 800-home hotline. You guys got to check it out. The way it works, basically, IVR technology has been around since the 70s. The gist is anytime you call an 800 number, um, you know, you get any kind of toll-free number where the owner of the number is paying for your call – you can't block your number. So this IVR technology works around the premise that, you know, you have a rider on your sign, and the sign rider says, for free 24-hour record info on this house, call, you know, and whatever your unique 800 number is and whatever the unique extension is for that particular house. This technology has been around forever. It's not new. It's what happens afterwards that's really the secret sauce. So someone's parked in front of your for sale sign. Someone calls the 800 number, a buyer, right? Yeah. Um, they're interested in the property. It's a new listing. So you call them back right away. And by right away, so you get the SMS. It tells you what phone number that they're calling from. And it tells you what extension they just dialed. You then, as the agent, pick up your cell phone and you call them right back. And this is what you say. I'm going to run it both ways for the sake of time. So I'm going to role play with myself, if you will. Sure. So ring, ring. Hello. Hi, this is Tim Harris with ABC Realty. As a courtesy, when people call our 800 number, I give them a quick call back to see if there are any uh, questions about the home they called about. Now, in the descriptor, when they called and listened, you'd give them the broad strokes of it. You haven't given them the price, but you gave them a price range. So, you know, 300 to, say, 330 would be the low 300s. 330 to 360 would be mid 300s because you have had to have done a very brief audio recording on this house. That's what they heard when they hit the extension. Right. So they'll say, well, yes, is the house currently available or what's the asking price or whatever the question they might still have. And you say, you know, excellent. Let me check to make sure the property is still available mm. and confirm the current offering price. Remember, you can run these ads, these types of ads I'm talking about. I was talking about putting this on a sign writer, but you could also do this on an actual ad. You know, you could lace this 800 number to your actual ad. So um, they'll say, well, what's the current price? And you say, well, that's a great house. Let me check to make sure it's still available and find out the current price. Then you say, here's the secret sauce part, Toby. Um, By the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling? Mm. Now, right? So most agents, what they're going to do is they're going to try to form this sort of artificial relationship, and they're going to try to basically feed this information about the house, and hopefully the buyer lead likes them, and maybe, you know, all these other types. No, get it out of the way right away. By the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling? Now, if your listeners were to use the system like I just described and not change it, every single one of them will take more listings than they possibly can imagine, because here's a statistical fact. When you call, like when you put the 800 home hotline right around your sign, you put the sign in the yard, it's a new listing, virtually all the initial calls for the first two or three days will be the neighbors calling about the price. Right. The neighbors who are thinking about selling. Nobody casually calls and checks about a price on a property. They're calling because they want to know the price. So when you call them right back, use the script, you know, as a courtesy, and then you go right to the question, by the way, which house, you will get listing leads, you know, how many? You get 10 calls in the IVR, probably realistically within the first two or three days, 30 to 40% are going to be potential sellers sometime in the next 90 to 120 days. Otherwise, they wouldn't be calling. So why am I talking about this? You can teach an agent to be frosty, you know, have that aggressive spirit. If you explain to them um, why, just to tell an agent, just to assume that there's this magical, mystical 1% that some people have and some people don't, and you can't coach people to that 1%, that's just not true. Everybody has it in them to be great. Some people just need a little bit more explanation as to the how, the whys, and what to say, and how to say it. Once they have that, 
honestly, Toby, it doesn't matter who they are. It could be somebody that basically has been sitting behind a computer all their life and never sold anything, or it could be somebody who's a phenomenal salesperson. Everyone can be, if they understand the background behind it, told what to say and how to say it, and they can get the same result. That right. is the truth. Interesting. So, so that's that's that that is a that that strategy that method's pretty interesting. So, number one, you know, in terms of this this eight hundred hotline rider, this little thing on top of the sign, I rarely see that. Well, I mean, you rarely see agents that are making more than twenty nine thousand four hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> a year either. Right, right, right. I mean, right? I mean, that's right. the average. But that and you're in San Diego, right? I'm in Austin, Texas. Yeah. The average agent in the United States earns less than thirty thousand dollars a year. The top producers right now are saying, "Tim, shut up! I don't want my competition knowing about what you're telling them." Yeah. So, so right. My point is, my point is, you know, that's a simple strategy that 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 people should employ, and it's not right. It's a simple thing that just, hey, just go right. ahead and put this right around. So, the it's, other it's thing, thirty, Toby, it's thirty-seven dollars a month too. That's the crazy. That's part. crazy. That's nuts. So, so one thing I wanted to briefly talk about is. In that script, one of the things you said, you kind of like we're building in scarcity around the house, right? You said, hey, hold on. Let me sure. see if it's still available. And I don't know. Right. If, right. So you're building scarcity, you know, because, you know, again, if uh, for me, if I like a house and, you know, they say uh, it may not be available, I'm like, crap, man. You know, may, like I better write an offer right now. <clears throat> the the other thing, this, this is really what I'm talking about. So 30 to 40 percent. Uh, uh, what was that? Thirty. You're going to get in terms of listing leads. 30, 40, Thirty to forty percent of the people call you. You're going to get as listing leads. Is that what you said? Let's drill down on that. So you have to, in your mind, everyone listening, you have to understand that nobody is going to call about one of your houses for sale ever, unless they have it in their minds as a dominant thought that they either want to buy or sell a home. So forget in a race, a race, a race forever that there's ever anything such as a non-motivated lead. Nobody is going to take the time of their busy lives between their Twittering and their Facebook updating and their whatever the heck else they're doing, going to the beach in San Diego, unless they're actually seriously interested in the house. They want to know the price. The initial calls that you get when you put a for sale sign in the yard, and our existing coaching students will 100% validate this, are the neighbors. So if you get 10 calls into your 800 home hotline uh, sign writer, then you know at least 30 or 40% are going to be neighbors. And if you ask the question, by the way, which house in the neighborhood are you thinking about selling, as your, say, top two or three questions, you will get listing leads because the people are not anticipating you asking them that. So they're not prepared for that question. So even if they have been calling other realtors, they have been calling off other signs, they've been doing their own CMA homework prior to calling out listing agents and whatnot, that in itself... Um, gives you an advantage. I'll, and you asked about something else, going back to the whole lead follow-up thing. Um, you call them back immediately, and when you call them back immediately, see the skeptics out there, right, the people that are more analytical in nature, they're going to be hearing me say that, and they're going to say, well, are people going to be mad when you call them back? Sure, one out of 20. How would you get my number? Blah, blah, blah. Don't focus on the one out of 20. Focus on the 19. They're going to be impressed that you called them back, especially, guys, the potential sellers, right. because those same sellers have not been having an experience with quick lead follow-up with all the other agents they've been calling. Right. So get in your mind that the you know the urgency matters. Can I share another little interesting tidbit with you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, but before you do, and I don't want to take you off that path, but let me just ask you this. And I, again, I hope I don't wreck your train of thought. So you are going to get listing leads. Probably will. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, then go. Go. I'll, I'll remember my question. Okay. Well, so, so um, I coach the number one Mercedes-Benz salesman in the world. Wow. Um, really great guy. Well, but here's, here's a true story. Julie and I were um, saving our house, and um, 
this is our okay so we'll do complete transparency this was a our uh, house that's basically you know on or near the beach in Laguna Beach it's a place we keep just for summering and we go there you know two or three months a year so we're sitting in this place and I'm thinking well we need to get a new Mercedes and so I see an ad or something something spawns my you know I send an email to Fletcher Jones Mercedes-Benz in Newport I get a call back. Now, this is true. I was literally on the computer, Toby, and I was literally, I hit like send. And then probably within a minute or two, ring, ring, the phone rings. Julie answers the phone here in the background. And hello, this is so-and-so from, you know, Mercedes-Benz dealer. And Julie goes, oh, you're probably calling for Tim, <laughs> you know, because so, I love cars. So she gives the phone to me. And sure enough, the guy was calling me back immediately. And I just hit the web form. I had given him brief financial information, where we lived, what our income was, you know, blah, blah. He then, here's this basic script. We have the car in stock. Um, you're already approved. Would you like us to bring it by your house tonight? And it was like 6.30, 7 o'clock at night. Wow. That makes the difference. Now, this guy sold new, more Mercedes-Benz than even Mercedes-Benz sales guys in Germany, right? This guy was phenomenal. Why? He, wasn't, he didn't give the great price necessarily. I didn't even price shop him, if I'm being honest. He didn't give the, anything. He was urgent. He got to the lead first. And that validates every single study ever done about how people go about choosing an agent. Most people, Toby, choose the first, work with the first salesperson that they meet. Yep. I believe it was National Association of Realtors. You know, there's been lots of studies that have been done on this. But in essence, if you, agents, get in front of someone first, yep. um, they will choose you to work with even if you're not the most experienced, even if you're not the most skilled, even if you're not the number one this, even if you haven't been in the business forever, people will work with the first person that they meet. Even if they talk to other realtors after they've talked with you, they'll work with you. So in a way, understanding that is a beautiful thing because then it's very clear in your head that the key, or I'd say one of the keys to being successful in real estate long term is to get to the lead first. You do that, you'll win. I totally agree. I think that stat is 89%. 89% of the people will work with the first agent they meet. And that's why crazy things, you know, little things like, you know, if you're, if you are starting out or, you know, you're that person who makes $29,000 a year and you don't know what to do, you know, if holding an open house, right? I tell, I tell my coaching clients, like, what, here's what I tell them. I say, Hey, Go find, look at the new listings, search for the one that you feel is the best value, the best deal, and go to that person and try to hold that house open. And you know, and, and as people, and you obviously have to promote it, you know, people come through, you're the first point of contact, and bang, you know, you, you have a, a new buyer lead. Let, let me go back real quick. This is, this is the last question I want to ask you about that 800 writer thing. So you're going to get leads from that because you have that script. You're going to ask that question. What house are you thinking about selling in the neighborhood? Now, right. so would it make sense then, you know, one of the things that I tell my coaching clients, I go, look, man, if that, if that person wants to overprice their house, don't waste your time with it, but maybe. No, 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 no. I mean, am I being rude? I'm probably being no, rude. No, 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 no. I didn't mean to interrupt not, you. No, I, I'm sorry. We've had tons of conversations well, we can do. I love this flow, so that's fine. Okay. All right. So listen, you, wait, wait, hold on. Let me finish my question because you're on top of. I want everybody to catch up. So the question I was going to ask <laughs> is: Somebody has an overpriced house. You know, should you list that house and put your sign in the ground just to have that writer right to to claim that real estate so that you do get that you know those phone calls and and you're able to potentially cap capture those listing leads. Okay. So here's the reality of it. I mean, you know. If you overprice a listing and you, it's, it's for sale in the first, you know, couple weeks, maybe a month that it's for sale, 
it does start to become stale. I, you know, in the way we, we have tons and tons of different scripts, and I guess another reason that people choose us to be their coaches, Toby, is that we do have scripts, but we don't ask anyone to memorize them. We want you to internalize them and personalize them. In other words, you won't use a script that's not your own words or doesn't flow with how you talk. And, yeah. you know, we have coaching students. We have coaching students in Wasilla, Alaska. You know, we have coaching students in Hawaii. We have coaching students in Canada. We have coaching students in Texas. We have coaching students in New York City. You know, I have a coaching student right now who's working with Bono and um, Jay-Z trying to find a property. And, you know, he, so anyway, the point of it is, is you take a script and then you personalize, you, you, know, you internalize it and then you personalize it. So when you're looking at a situation where basically a seller wants to overprice a house, the gist of it is you have to be 100% honest with them, but you have to be very careful in the words you use. So the first question, Toby, and I'll ask you this, mm-hmm. is why does a seller overprice? What's their real reason? And the answer is not because they want more money. Why does a seller overprice a house? Uh, look, here's, here's what I think. I think that both buyers and sellers do not live in the present, right? So sellers look, they, they, they still live in 2006 when their house was worth, you know, 1.2 and now it's worth 800. And buyers also live in the past because they, they look at that house and they go, Hey, why should I pay 900 for that house? Cause in 09, that thing was 650. So for me, that's how I would answer that question is buyers don't live in the present. Well, I'm not disagreeing or with anything you just said and everything, everything you just said is true. But why does a seller overprice a house, a car? I mean, you've sold stuff before, Toby. I've sold stuff before. When it's my stuff, it's automatically worth more than any sort of logical explanation <laughs> why it wouldn't be worth that. Right. You know, with all the properties, our own properties that Julie and I have sold over the years, we, <laughs> Julie always wants to overprice them. Why? Because it's ego. That's why. Huh. So a seller will overprice a property because of ego, because they want to be right, because it's theirs, so it's automatically better. You, there, there is no logical way, generally speaking, to overcome a seller who's really dug their heels in about overpricing. Really, there isn't. But what you have to do when you run up against one of these sellers, and I'm thinking about your market in San Diego. The market's hot, seller's market. I mean, it's true in a lot of places in the country, but in California where you are, dude, yeah. it is rampant. It's nuts. You run into a seller that's got their head in the clouds about price, yep. and they have to sell. Now, there's a key differentiator. Right. So this is really critical. If they have to sell their house, not want to sell, you know, have to sell is a divorce, a bankruptcy, a forced relocation, something that's almost external that's forcing them to make a decision about selling their house versus, oh, if we can get our price versus, well, if we can find a house that we're interested in versus those types of things. So a truly motivated have to sell seller. And agents listening, go to your list, your listings you sold this year. I bet you nine out of 10, not everyone, but nine out of 10 will have been a have to sell not a want to sell. So if you have a have to sell seller and they want to overprice, but you know they have to sell the house, you have to be 100% honest with them. Don't use words like, and this is really critical, don't ever say you're overpriced. Overpriced is fingernails on a chalkboard. Hmm. If you say that to a seller, that is a word that is going to get you rejected, especially if they're coming from a place of ego where they probably are if they're wanting to overprice. There's no logic behind overpricing. Your CMAs, guys, are proving to the seller what it should sell for, and if they still won't listen, you have to understand that seller's coming from ego, not from logic. You can try to beat them over the head with logic all you want, but you're just going to frustrate yourself, and you're going to use words like overpriced. Don't use overpriced. Say things like ahead of the market. You're just, this is just a little bit ahead of the market. I'm just giving you guys a little, hopefully, as Howard Brinton used to say, pearls. I'll give you another one. Don't say lower your price. Lower your price, again, for most, that's like punching the seller in the head 
and saying, not only are you wrong about price, in other words, making them wrong is an ego thing, your yeah. ego making them wrong about, okay, but you're also in their minds taking money out of their pocket. You want to say, Mr. Seller, we have to reposition the house on the market so that we correctly reflect the buyer's expectations. Oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> right yeah. I mean, all of a sudden they're hearing that and it's not, oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense, right? So you have to script yourself in such a way that you're going to be receptive to your potential sellers. Um, so if you have a seller, getting back to your original question, that insists on overpricing, you explain to them this, uh, basically combining all these scripts. So Mr. Seller, listen, I appreciate the fact that you want to list the house for, say, 500 even though the market's telling us, not I'm saying, not the CMA saying, the market's telling us it's probably more of the mid-fours. But let's do this. And, and remember, guys, this is a have-to-sell seller, and if you don't list it at the seller's price, you're going to walk away with no listing. And there's an old rule in life called some money's better than no money. But I don't want you to lie to them to buy the listing. Say, I can see how possibly it's worth 500000 depending on the direction of the market over the next two weeks. So let's do this. Um, go ahead and list it for you know, 499 And by the way, guys, you, your CMA could have been wrong. You could have underpriced it. The market could have basically had a sell-off since you did your CMA two weeks ago. Mm. And it could have actually had a, you know, a lack of supply. And it could be worth what the seller thought. You never know. Anyone who sold real estate has been in that situation before. But let's assume that your CMA is accurate. The seller's genuinely overpriced. Say, listen, um, after two weeks or 10 showings, if we don't have an offer on the property, Mr. Seller, let's agree to reposition it on the market so that we correctly reflect the buyer's expectations. And then you write it on this, it, ideally you write it on the listing contract that on you know, what you just said, two weeks or 10 showings, then write down the date for two weeks. Um, if we don't have an offer on the property, then we reposition the house on the market by 10%. Now, you can, you know, vacillate on that. You can go, like, I have coaching clients in uh, Manhattan, and they're listing properties for $5 million, $6 million. I've got one guy that's chasing a listing right now for $13 million. And I've got another coaching client in uh, California who just listed something for $22 million. This is, you know, really the extremes of things. Well, in those areas, you can have overpriced sellers by millions of dollars. So you kind of have to adjust the script. Remember, you know, right. you have to internalize and personalize. Right. You have to adjust it for your marketplace. But that's how you do it. So you do take a listing over price, but you do be honest that you, of your opinion. Um, otherwise, it's just not something – you won't have a long career unless you approach every seller with what's best for the seller always. Even right. if the seller is being gruff with you, you always have to have what's best for them in mind as your prominent thought. Yeah, I love that. I, 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 and I love those scripts. Um, um, so yeah, so, so that's perfect. So, uh, you do take that overpriced listing, you, you, you manage their mindset as you go along, you, you know, even, and even though, um, and the other thing, okay, you win, you win cause you gain that real estate, you get your sign in the ground, you get that 800 hotline rider on top of it. And, uh, you know, and you're, you're beginning to show some expertise in the, in the, in the neighborhood, right? Cause people drive by, they see, they see Tim Harris and they go, man, that guy, Tim is everywhere. Look, <clears throat> let me go back something really quick about your career, right? You had this very interesting career. You have this first breakout year, hundred plus houses, and then you do something and it's, it, it's worked for you, Tim, but you know, here's what I see agents do. And really this is all entrepreneurs, right? It's that shiny object syndrome. They're doing this, whatever they're doing, they see something that they think will be beneficial to them. They, they drop what they're doing and they change course. And, and most of the times that is a recipe for disaster. Now, if I look at your career, you're massively successful, 103 deals your first year. Then you go on a speaking tour. Right. For me, like that bright, shiny object, it's, you know, that's why I started with being deliberate. And then you, and then you wrote a book 
and you started coaching. Now you've made that work, but in terms of chasing, before I get too long winded with this, tell me sort of just what you, you and Julie were thinking when you did the speaking tour, then write the book, and then you kind of transitioned into coaching. Oh, interesting question. And by the way, long-winded is my end of this interview, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. I know. It was about you. No, no, no. No worries. No worries. Uh, you, you're asking basically, if I understand correctly, you're asking what made us go from – well, okay. So if you read that interview um, that NAR did us uh, – did, did Julie and I, and we were, you know, I don't even remember what year it was, 98, I think, 97 okay. maybe. I don't remember, honestly. Back in the 90s, uh, we said in the interview that we basically were thinking that we were going to stay in the industry for, you know, roughly seven to ten years. We didn't have uh, – and I just – I probably didn't really think out that, uh, that what I said back when we, you know, were making that statement, but it worked out to be that way. And I guess, you know, the reason that we transitioned from one to the other – is because we'd accomplished, honestly, we'd accomplished our goals in the real estate business. That's, that's the honest answer. Got it. When we were selling real estate, you know, after we sort of fell into 100 houses our first year, and I, obviously, guys, it wasn't a fall into, you know, we worked our butts off and a whole lot more. But after we sort of reached a certain plateau of, and again, this is going to be something that's going to make some people uncomfortable, but personal wealth, we sort of were able to see forward as to what we could expect in terms of increases in personal wealth going forward um, in the real estate business, selling real estate in Columbus, Ohio. We had uh, set our business around. Now, guys, understand that our primary focus is when we sold real estate and as coaches is always what's best for the agent. I, I always am connected with that feeling of being a small business owner, of being a mom and pop, which we were literally. Eventually, Julie's parents started working for us, and we hired fire agents, we had a staff, we had a listing specialist. We've done all that. We've gone down those paths. But I remember what it felt like, and I'll never lose, never lose contact with that because when I'm on a coaching call with somebody and they're trying, and I, without them saying, Toby, I can feel what they're feeling because I felt those feelings before. Right. Um, so because of the fact that Julie and I were able to be successful in real estate, we were to accomplish our personal goals, we the coaching thing just sort of happened organically. I think most, you know, honestly, most things in life do work out that way. If you're on the path, it, people call it luck, but what is luck really? It's, you know, luck, lucky's opportunity meets, meets preparedness. Right. Um, it turns out we weren't, I mean, I'm sure we got better. I mean, Julie and I have had each probably at this point 100,000 um, one-on-one calls. I mean, quite literally, we've had just tens of thousands of one-on-one calls, and we've gotten really good at uh, being real estate coaches. I bet you we're better real estate coaches than we ever were at selling real estate. The reality of it is because we've done this more intensely for a longer period of time. It's the passion for helping people that drives us now because we don't have to work for money anymore. The definition of rich is when uh, you know, your money works for you and you no longer have to work for your money. And I realize some people right now, we're having a money conversation. Tim sounds like he's bragging. I'm not. I'm just, what I'm trying to say to you guys is we're just normal people from Columbus, Ohio, you know, that went to Ohio State University. We figured some things out earlier in life. We've improved those ideas. We've made it into a system. Turns out the system works in virtually every market and every price range, and we have unbelievable passion for what happens as a result of coaching. I love the coaching calls. I personally love it. I don't have to do them anymore. And sometimes when the coaching students are you know, not doing their homework or they're basically starting to be, you know, it, it, whatever. I'll tell them, listen, I don't have to coach you. 
I'm not, I, I appreciate the honor of being your coach. It's a pleasure to be your coach. But if you're not going to really use this information in our time together, even though you're paying me for that half hour, uh, I am going to, honestly, I'm going to cancel our, and I, I cancel probably two or three a month, truthfully. I mean, if they get to the point, of, but, you know, they get to the point, some of them, where they're making enough money, where they've built enough spokes on their wheels, we call it, where they have, they've accomplished their goals, they don't want to go beyond that. So getting back to your original question, Julie and I did, and we realized that in, our, in, our, in, in the real estate business that we are in, you can't scale a real estate sales practice. You can't. Everybody talks about you can, but you can't. It's not scalable. You can scale other businesses. So obviously what we do now is scalable, not the one-on-one calls, but some of the other products we sell. And then we've invested in other businesses that, we, that you can scale too. I mean, you know, just in all kinds of different things. And uh, so I hope I'm at see. I told you, long winded was my end of the center. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it's good. Wait, wait. So look, <laughs> Tim, uh, unpack that a little bit. You, you can't scale a real estate business. Look, explain what that means to, for somebody who's going. I, I, what does Tim mean by that? Okay, I'll give you a great example. Okay, um, we have on a regular basis these agents who come to us, and they're almost they have big teams. That's one of our biggest groups of agents that are joining us as coaching. You know, they were looking for. Um, help with these big teams. There's this ethos out there right now that's totally and completely insidious to the individual agent. Remember, we're an agent-centric coaching business. We're not, we are 100% focused on the individual agent, on their families, on them, you know, building financial security, love Dave Ramsey's, you know, philosophy on wealth building and paying off debt, all that stuff. That's where our heart and our soul is with the individual agent. So this big team thing is, is not what's best for, I'd say, 8 out of 10 uh, individual agents, and here's why. So I have these agents that will, you know, we start coaching, and they'll have three or four buyer agents. They're buying buyer leads from all these normal sources. You know, they've got listing specialists. They've got this, da 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 Now, let's say they're making 2 or $3 million a year in gross commission. So them and all their minions are making 2 or $3 million a year. They originally formed this team for non-business reasons. They didn't form this team with the idea of creating wealth. They believed that more units would create more net, which would then hopefully maybe you know, create more personal wealth for them, but it doesn't work out like that. Let's use a million dollars as an example. If an agent and their team has a gross commission of a million dollars, their net to them, the rainmaker, the person taking all the risk, the person that's you know, you know, basically managing the whole thing, keeping it alive, dealing with all the adult daycare things that are necessary when you have, you know, a bunch of individuals working for you, salespeople, you know, a lot of drama. Their net is probably going to be 18 to 20% of that million dollars. That's a real number. Agents right now who don't track their numbers, who, uh, you know, are forming these big teams, I promise you they're going to be offended by what I just said. So before you send Toby emails or me emails, do your own homework. I'll tell you somebody who is really honest about it. Listen to the interview that I did with Pat Hyben. He had one of the biggest teams back in, I don't know how long ago it was, was, I mean, 08, 09, I think. And they were doing like $6 million a year in commission. And I was having this conversation with Pat during this interview I did with him. He, I said, you know, it's been my experience, 18 to 20%. Then he didn't say anything for a second. He goes, you know, he goes, yeah, that's about right. I mean, my peak years, I was netting around a million dollars a year. Well, here's my premise. Most agents are going to be uh, able to accomplish all their financial goals, have a wonderful life, pay off their debts, uh, and they're going to be able to do it with maybe themselves and maybe two assistants. How? 
Because if your goal, let's say, for example, is to make $300,000 a year to you before taxes, and let's say, you know, let's even call it after, um, after expense. So you're making $25,000 a month on average. Or, you know, scale it down. You want to make $10,000 a month average. If you have a team, you have to do, do the math on this, guys. If you want to make $10,000 a month, net to you, and you have a team, you're going to have to do probably fifty or 60000 a month in gross revenue. If you have a million dollars in revenue, you're going to make one hundred eighty to $200,000 before taxes. The math varies, right? You might be able to run a more profitable business, but it, most of the agents I ever talk to, they're not because they're buying leads, which is totally insidious. This trend, Toby, that's been going on since really 07 of buying buyer leads is insane. Don't ever buy buyer leads. Why? It's simple, because you can generate tons of buyer leads when you learn how to be a listing agent. Learn how to be a listing agent. Do the simple idea Toby and I discussed earlier, 800 Home Hotline, or just really, there's a number of other basically free things, and you'll have to beat the buyers off the stick. You don't ever buy buyer leads. If you're buying buyer leads, you need to really question the long-term viability of that because of the fact that buying buyer leads has become, not is becoming or will become, oversaturated. The quality of the buyer leads is going down. The price is going up. More people want to buy the buyer leads. The buyer leads are getting more diluted. It's not a sustainable business model. Learn how to be a listing agent. And if you want to you know, have the most net and have the least amount of hassle, if you're a listing agent and you have one or two assistants to basically do the running around for you, that's the ideal situation. That's what's best for most agents. So, I mean, here's, here's a fun question, Toby. Why is it that this whole idea of a mega team is being pressed upon agents? What's the real agenda behind that line of thinking? If we can agree that it's not what's best for the individual agent, why is that being pressed upon agents? Do you have an opinion? Uh, I have an opinion, but my opinion uh, – we talked about this, so I don't want to steal your thunder. So, And you have an interesting take on it, so share it with, with everybody. Well, it's con- it, and, and my, the hardest thing – um, and when you own a real estate brokerage, the crappiest job is being the team leader, being the office manager, being the person that has to go out there and recruit agents. And there's this uh, model that's been around forever in the real estate brokerage business called body shops. 99% of all real estate brokerages are body shops, meaning that they are just burning through agents. Most agents will get in the business, they'll be able to sell to their Aunt Molly, and they'll sell to their brother-in-law, and they'll be able to sell to a handful of their immediate centers of influence and past clients for the first 12 to 24 months. Then after that, because they have never learned real sales skills, because they don't know how to lead generate on their own, because, 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 they will not necessarily leave the industry, but they won't really be active in the industry anymore. So in other words, their career is effectively over. It's called real estate body shops. Those types of agents are the most profitable for real estate brokerages. Those types of agents are you know, the ones that you can get the most commission split on. So when I see these average normal agents these people that want to have great lives to their families, want to you know, take great care of their responsibilities, they want to spoil their kids at Christmas, they want to not have real estate night sweats, as my wife likes to call it, of worrying about money. When I see those people being told that you are a failure unless you have a team, which is in essence the message that's being sent out there, it literally makes my teeth itch because it is a lie. The whole team ethos thing is being pressed upon agents right now because the brokers are trying to uh, push on the agents to do the hardest, crappiest job. If I am a real estate broker and I have 50 agents and they're all individual practitioners, they don't have teams, and I say to them and I sell them and I get them to believe that 
everything happens when you have a team. What have I just done? I've gotten 50 individual agents now to go out there and start recruiting agents, adding agents to my brokerage. I've just essentially for free delegated the crappiest job in my real estate brokerage, which is, me, which is you know, hiring and finding agents right. to all my agents. Right. How yeah. about what's best for you guys if you do the math on this? That's yeah. the whole... Totally. Yeah. yeah, no, no, I totally agree. And look, I was talking to a different broker and we about this issue and he said, and this guy, this guy had, you know, it was a big brokerage. And he said, all new agents are good for at least, you know, about two to three transactions. So, you know, you bring somebody yep. on, they're good for that two to three transactions in the first 12 months. And then, you know, and then you go out and recruit again. So let me, let me back up for a second. So, so buying buyer's leads, right? You said quality is going down, price is going up, which I would agree with that. Um, and uh, you shouldn't do that. Now, it, you and Julie, you know, you've you've done a hundred thousand calls. Uh, you know, that's that's a lot of calls. That's a lot of time being yeah, on the it, phone. Toby, in all actuality, it's way more than that. It's way more than that. But I'm just saying, our personal one-on-one, you're stuck with Julie or I on the phone for a half hour, and we're your coach. Easily a hundred thousand each. Easily. Right, right. So, so you work with again, like this Mercedes guy, right? The the most successful uh, sales guy in the world. And you also work with people who are just starting out. And I want to know from you, you know, you've seen all this stuff. What, what kind of problems does the, the top producers have versus the problems that the, you know, the guy who sells six houses a year have? What, what, what are the difference between those two types of problems? That's a great question. Um, so one of the things that we always try to impress upon people, no matter where they are in their careers, no matter what industry they're in, because we also, I mean, a majority, like 99% of our coaching students are obviously real estate agents, um, is I ask this question. And this is a real eye-opener. And Toby, you and I have had this off radio, so, I mean, I'll play it both ways. If, you, if I were to ask all your listeners, what is your product, right? You know, a pie shop makes pies. A dry cleaner makes, you know, clean clothes, let's say. A, a, an auto mechanic makes working cars. But ultimately... You guys aren't really delivering a tangible product. It's intangible. You're just getting in the middle. You're essentially, essentially, let's say, if you're doing your job correctly, bringing a buyer and a seller together, and you're doing it in such a way to make the process go smoothly for its less stress for everyone so both sides can accomplish their goals. Let's just say, theoretically, that's your primary focus. I ask you the question, what is your product? What is it that you make? The agents will typically answer, and none of these answers are wrong, but they'll say, my product is happy clients, my product is sold listings, my product is all these types of things that are all right, but they're not the bottom line if you truly are in this business to make money, which, by the way, all of you should be because you are entrepreneurs, you do work for yourself. Your product is profit. Your product is profit. Your product is the profit you get from the services you provide. If you don't have enough profit in your business, uh, again, this will make some people uncomfortable, but it's because you have yet to learn how to service people at a high enough level that they're willing to use you to perform the real estate transaction. If you don't have the financial security, if you have not gone to the places in the world, if you don't have the things that you want in life, and all these things, you know, if, assuming you're comfortable with the idea that you like stuff, and, you know, we're spiritual beings and physical manifestations, and we need stuff. We need houses. We need shoes on our feet. We need cars to drive. It might as well be nice stuff. Can we all agree to that? Sure. Yeah. So if, if, you're in that, if you're in that situation where you don't have what you want in life, it's because the simple fact is, is you have yet to, fit, you've yet to learn or accept, or maybe in many cases no one's told you, that the key to long-term financial success is learning how to provide a service that hundreds if not thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions, and maybe even billions of people are willing to pay for. You can do that 
in your real estate business. You can do that in your individual. You have to do that through providing superior service. You always have to have the best interest of the client at heart. I mean, it's God's work in a way. Okay, now I know some of the people are going to go, oh my God, Tim's on a tangent. Maybe I am. <laughs> but the reality of it is, is that we, when we help somebody with a stressful event, and buying or selling real estate is a very stressful event, we are doing God's work. We are. You know, it's a very stressful event, and if we can make that experience something pleasurable, something that doesn't uh, hurt their family or doesn't cause them stress, that is something that is an honor to provide for folks, right? Yeah. That's the mindset. Yeah. So product, the, the product is the profit. You don't get rich selling real estate. That's another myth. Well, I'll just sell a thousand houses and I'll get rich. That's not true. You get rich from the profit you make from selling real estate. So you ask me the question, say the newer agent, the more experienced agent. Yeah. The first thing I have to clean out of their heads is why you're in the business and you're in the business to make profit. And the next thing I focus them in on, and this is really true with the top producers, again, because this whole team thing, you know, and they're buying buyer leads and they're doing all these other things, trying to create more units. Don't focus on units. Focus on money. Business people do not focus on units, guys. They focus on money. The reason that all of us, present company included, were taught to focus on units is because the brokers back in olden town, you know, they didn't want their agents realizing how crappy their commission split was. So opposed to focusing on dollars, they got them to focus on units. Focus on dollars. Because whatever you focus on is what you'll manifest. So if you focus on the commissions that you're making, some people are really uncomfortable with that, but you won't be uncomfortable with that if you realize it's the profit you make from the transactions that leads to the life that you really want, that leads to the ability for you to you know, provide for your family, provide for your church, your synagogue, your mosque, your temple, provide for your local community because you've learned how to provide a superior service that so many people are willing to embrace. I love that. And and could you briefly unpack what that superior people say, yeah, yeah, look, Tim, I, I understand that I need to provide superior service, but you know, what they think is superior service may not be superior service. What what are some guidelines? What how would you package that? What does that look like? Superior service? Well, let, I'll make that into a very I love that question. The great question. Um so here's the mindset. You have to call an expired seller right now, or for sale by owner. And by the way, don't call them for sale by owners. Call them unrepresented sellers because that's really what they are. So if you have to call an expired or FISBO. Now, most agents, especially ones we're coaching, are going to be, no problem, I'll call them right now. But let's say you've never done it before, and you're nervous about it, and you have all these thoughts running in your head. What are they going to say? How am I going to overcome this? How is this going to be handled? Where are all the, I mean, guys, just literally put yourself in a mind right now, mindset right now, that Toby and I are going to force all of you to pick up the phone and call FISBO and you've never done it before. If you're a regular over the phone, you know, if you regular, you know, working over the phone, doing over the phone work, it's one of the really about 50 spokes, when a spoke is a lead generation idea that we'll teach you depending on what your particular goals are. How do you feel anticipation of making that phone call? Do you feel all those fears? Do you feel all those thoughts? You, what am I going to say? How am I going to overcome this? What if they're mean? What if they're right? All your mind fills with all these things that are going to prevent you from actually getting the outcome. Now, if you still force yourself to make that phone call, but those thoughts are still rushing around your mind, your dominant thought's going to be, I need to get the hell off this phone as fast as possible before these people figure out I don't know what I'm doing or before they hurt my feelings because they're going to be mean. I mean, these are the types of subconscious sort of self-limiting things that can manifest. All right, now... I want to share with you a different mindset. 
to answer and by, the, and, and by the way, they do. I, I've had that. I've I've done that exact thing. Like you know, uh, talk very quickly to to get to the note just so I can hang up. Man, and then I go, oh, I did it. Um, so so that is. That's right. real, that's, I'm sure you have felt that too. Um, well, I suppose. So <laughs> you know, the idea of making. Well, I don't remember feeling that way, honestly. But I'll agree with you. Okay. I've just, you know, since, we, since it's your radio show, but I'll agree <laughs> with you. So, so we're, all right, so here's the mindset instead. And I remember the first time that I figured out as a coach how to help. I had this, I'll even say his name. What the hell? If he's listening, great. This great coaching student named Jeff Silva. Beautiful guy, wonderful family, you know, just wonderful, great coaching client. He was, he had every, he would be somebody, that you'd list your house with, even if you had a re- your real estate license, okay? I mean, that good of a person coming and going. He was nervous about picking up the phone, and he wouldn't do it. And in his marketplace at the time, now this was a while ago, there were a ton of expires, and he didn't have, you know, he didn't have the mindset or the cash flow to really be buying, you know. So he wanted to learn the skills necessary. Hats off to him. He was nervous about making the calls. After I don't know how long, I got him to make the calls, but he wasn't getting results. And I walked him through, let's close your eyes, let's pretend you're picking up the phone, you're going to make a phone call, you know, tell me all the thoughts you're filling in your head right now. And I had him all, write them all down. And it was not too many, 20 different thoughts, all of them negative. I said, okay, now I want you to rip that piece of paper up and put it on the side. Now I want you to write on your piece of paper, um, how, can I be, how can I help you? How can I be of service to you? In other words, shift your mindset away from all those negative thoughts were on that other piece of paper and refocus your mind on truly being of service. Being of service to others is our highest calling. Being of service to others, truly helping other people, is our highest calling as humans. That is my real belief. So I had him write, Jeff wrote down a piece of paper, how can I be of service to you? And then I asked him, go through that mindset game again. You're picking up the phone, your dominant thought is how to be of service to you. And then we kind of took a respite and I said, how, you know, what were you thinking? What were you feeling? He said it completely shifted because the thoughts, and here's why, because the how can I be of service to you unplugs that fear-based ego response of self-protectionism, which results in us maybe making the contact but not getting the result, and it refocuses on truly being of service. That is where the secret sauce lies when you're making these phone calls, when you're making contacts, when you're doing lead follow-up, when you're living life. If you have an approach of how can I be of service to you, how can I help that person, hopefully you guys feel on this interview that's where I'm coming from because that's what I feel. How can I help you? I know there's skeptics out there. I know there's people that are listening and they're saying whatever they're saying in their heads, but understand where I'm coming from is I want to help you as an individual practitioner get better at your job because so more people do business with you so you can have a brilliant life and you know whatever your bucket list items you completely totally do all the not just your bucket list items but the people you care the people you care about love because the real estate industry is an amazing thing jeff made the calls after that with that dominant mindset of how can i be of service and then it was probably within a month he became in a killer appointment setter and he was already good at taking listings so that basically was the missing link and, um, you know, I'm sure to this day it's extremely successful. So that same mindset I'm sharing with all of you listening now and uh, try it. Instead of thinking about what are they going to think about me when I ask for business? What are they going to think about me if I do quick lead follow-up? What are they going to – how am I going to feel if someone – you know, I don't want to seem too pushy. All those types of thoughts, replace those with my 
existence in this industry is to be of service to others to help other people. You do that, everything changes, but it changes with your mindset. Then all of a sudden, the skills and the scripts and the listing presentations and your pre-listing pack, all of them make sense because you know you're there truly to help people. Yeah, and you get paid in some cases a crazy amount of money for doing it. That's good job for you for choosing a great industry. Right, there you go. I mean, look, so, so you manage that mindset and couple it with the idea that your product is profit, right? And you focus right. on that money. You're focusing on two things. And, and I think a lot of people think, you know, focusing on money and then focusing on great service are at odds with one another. Uh, but, but I they, know, but, but that's false thinking. I agree. No, I, that's like, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, I mean that's why I brought it up because it is false, and and you know, and we have to start wrapping up. But so one of the things that I love is what you say, and you know, talking about mindset, talk about you know, think about money, focus on that, and that is your product, and it will manifest itself. I believe that, and I and I think uh, a, a lot of people think that's just too woohoo, and it doesn't happen. I, I believe it. I'm sure you believe it as well. And that you're and well. That, go ahead. So so can I? You know, there's. <laughs> I, first of all, Toby, thank you again for having me. I'm really enjoying this time with you. I, I appreciate your uh, great questions, and I'm you know, really hoping in my heart that we're really doing something uh, to help a lot of people. So if you don't mind, I would like to sort of directly attack some of the lies that are being perpetuated in our industry right now. I mean, it goes back to the mindset thing, but agents are not achieving the success that they can because they're being fed really bad information. And if you don't mind, and we won't go negative, even though that sounds like a negative twist, but I'd like to kind of address some of the, some of the sort of widely spread myths about what it takes to be successful, not just in this industry in life. Do you mind? No, I'd love it. All right. So I'm going to focus on one that uh, – a couple things. You know, a lot of times – I'll tell you, this is a true story. You know who Tim Ferriss is, 4-Hour Workweek? I'm uh, sure you do. Yeah, of course. Okay, so Julie and I run into Tim Ferriss. And I started talking to him about his book. And this was back in 07 or 08. Um, and I asked him about the title. And he told me the title of his book wasn't the original title of his book. He told me the title of his book was originally something completely different. And the publisher thought of the title. And, I, and, I, and he said the publisher thought of the title because they wanted to sell books. And he said there really is no – he didn't say it these exact words. But the essence of it was the four-hour work week is kind of a BS title to sell books. Well, there's a lot of BS information that's out there that's designed to basically get you guys to believe that you don't have to work, to believe that success just comes easily if you have these sort of thoughts, if you do all this mystical stuff. I mean, all this trendy stuff that's been out and all these business books that people say, oh, my God, this business book, this, okay, I'll give you one. Don't sweat the small stuff, but it's all small stuff. That's totally wrong. Sweat the small stuff because that's where the success is. Don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. It's not all small stuff. It's the small stuff that makes you different. It's the small stuff that makes you successful. It's the small stuff that makes it so that you're in business for a long time at a high level. You know, clear your mind away from the fact, and I'm leading into my next one that I like to talk about with agents, that you need to, like, agents don't delegate for the most part. They abdicate. In other words, they basically will assign the task to somebody else whether they're on their staff or whether they're, you know, some third party, and they don't follow up because we've been taught over the past probably 20 years that micromanaging is bad. Not true. Anybody successful that you'll ever meet in life, from the president of the United States to billionaires, they all are chronic micromanagers. So there's an old Ronald Reagan saying, trust but verify. You guys, that's another good one. So you can delegate 
Don't abdicate. In other words, don't give the responsibility away of completing the task. You have to assign it to somebody. Then you have to micromanage them so that you basically can get the task done at its highest level. And you have to trust the person you're hiring to do the job, but you have to verify that it's been done correctly. So the idea that you can have a four-hour work week, that you can sit around and hire this legion of agents to do all this work for you, you can sit around the beach and pick lid on your toes, I suppose you can, but you won't make any profit. And if you're running a profit-driven business, which hopefully all of you are, in other words, you're taking off the top of every single real estate transaction. You're paying yourself first. You're taking off 10%. You're taking off 20%. As you pay off your debts, as you build your six-month savings plan, as you pay off your house, as you get you know, wealthier and wealthier in essence, then you can start peeling off more. And, and here's an interesting fact. The more money you have, the less debt you have, the easier it is to earn money because the money that you're earning is more fun. It's not going for paying off student loans or paying off mistakes from the past. When you have no debt, you actually have a tendency to earn more money, not less money, which is the exact opposite of what you know, a lot of people think if they have no debt, they're not going to be able to earn money because they're going to somehow not have to work. It, the exact opposite happens. So on the other side of financial independence is where true wealth creation begins. That's there's a lot of stuff there. So let me ask you. Let me ask you about the delegate, don't advocate. Um, so delegate, don't advocate. Um, sweat the small stuff. Now, now for me in my life, Tim, I'm I'm sort of an eighty percent guy. You know, I I do a lot of different things. I will get it eighty percent there, and that last mile, right? That last twenty percent, which is all the small stuff. I tend to just sort of like I don't do it. Now, now in a lot of ways, whatever you know, a project I'm starting or company I'm you know deal I'm doing, whatever that last mile. For me, it 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 doesn't just the 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 reward for the work doesn't pay off for me in my mind. What, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, how, how far how far what you know in, in terms of sweating the small stuff? How how small are you really talking about? Every detail. Hmm. Every detail matters. I right now I'm, I'll give you an example. I just glanced at my email. I have one of my coaching students in New York who's creating his pre listing pack. So part of our coaching program is we give people a done pre-listing pack, but you obviously have to then personalize it with your own information. And he's asking all these types of questions too. You know, what matters? And he was, now we're talking about colors of the, you know, backgrounds and just different things. And the color that sells best and always will probably is blue. You know, the certain shade of blue that you see on like the on button on digital devices, the Facebook like button is blue. You'll see this blue. So I said, Use this blue. And he goes, no, I like the color teal. And I said, listen. And I sent him some links to the psychological studies that have been done on this one tiny little detail that most agents would assume didn't matter. And it does matter. It's a detail. It's a small thing. It's something, again, that people take for granted. But every tiny little thing matters. You're in a highly competitive industry. And because we're in the very beginning stages of what's going to be another 7- to 10-year real estate boom, you heard me right, we're at the very beginning stages of a real estate boom, you have to make it so that people on a conscious and a subconscious level are attracted to you to do business with you. So it's all those tiny little details. And there is no such thing as done. I mean, there's no such thing as done. Your, your business will never be done. Your systems will never be done. Your skills will never be done. As soon as you say, I'm done, you're going to start failing. So always be looking for ways to improve. Always be looking for uh, you know, the next rung of whatever it is. It doesn't have to be a bigger house and you know, all those types of you know, material things. It could just be in your uh, your aptitude, your ability to service different kinds of clients, your versatility. 
Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. And I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, you know, I, uh, on my website, right, my last company that I started was Task Hero. I spent a lot of time getting into the, the psychology of colors. You know, what, when you have a call to action on your website, you know, what color button should that be to, that, that would prompt them to, to move further on? So I agree with that for sure. Um, let, let's talk about the seven to 10 year boom, right? So one of the things that I said in the intro on the last episode, is that that uh, you know people when they people told me to go and get you uh, they said that they said this weird thing about your your very time relevant right you you the the sorts of things that you teach uh, are they work in today's market now the things that worked in 06 uh, won't necessarily work in in 2014 what do you see uh, you looking for in the next seven to ten years Tim what well, kind I of- love that question. All but right. that's an awesome question, Toby, because what you're really touching on is like when somebody – so I'm going to put the self-serving hat on for a second, right? So when we're getting compared to other coaching companies, well, a lot of times what you guys are looking at and, – and I'm going to move away from the self-serving thing just so that people will be more receptive to what I have to say – is that they are teaching you stuff that absolutely positively did work in the past. There's no question that what worked in the past worked in the past. That's the reason they are able to get – Longevity. So, you know, there's the people that are selling you on the long-term referral systems and the, you know, cold calling and the, you know, all those types of things. They worked then. They don't work now at the same level. I'm not saying they don't work, but they don't work at the same level. So there's a great saying that we teach all of our coaching students that when the going gets tough, the smart leave. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. In other words, if what you were doing before doesn't work, if where you're selling real estate even doesn't work, you have to realize that it's not your job to dig your heels in and say, hell or high water, I'm going to make it work. I need to, you know, you need to pivot to what is working. Real-time coaching is what we hear a lot from our coaching students. And I'll give you an example. Back in 07, when the market basically, I remember September of 07, I'll even tell you, I was on a coaching call with Mark Shandro in Long Beach. Mark was, you know, making $100,000 a month back in the, you know, back before the crash. And I remember virtually all of his transactions fell out. It's when the subprime lenders started to fail. It's when the whole house of cards started falling down. And, you know, he was bummed out about it. I said, Mark, this is the greatest opportunity ever. Why? Because the market is going to shift to short sales, then to REOs, and it'll happen in that order. So we then started teaching, teaching agents how to do short sales. We were the first uh, – as far as I'm aware, we were the, by far the first to market teaching agents how to do short sales. How did Julie and I know how to do short sales? Because we had to do short sales when we sold real estate. So the reality of it was is at the time, short sales and REOs and doing the kind of work that focused on helping underwater homeowners, that was where the money was. And in some markets, by the way, guys, I'm thinking of certain parts of Florida, certain parts of Vegas, really a lot of major markets around the country, there are still literally millions and millions and millions of underwater owners and probably will be for some time to come. That is a market that is a viable income-producing spoke, and the analogy of a spoke is basically you have a bicycle wheel. Then, you know, each the stronger the wheel, the more spokes you have. That's just, if you get that visualization, most agents were taught to believe that you have to have one or two spokes. Maybe you're going to be cold calling and you're going to mail a newsletter to your centers of influence and past clients. That's the typical sort of – and you'll notice that over time it doesn't work as well because it doesn't work as well, not because you're not working as well. What you're doing doesn't work like it did, so you have to pivot to what is working. Um, and in this marketplace, 
the market's pivoting again. We're seeing a lot of new construction opportunities. We're seeing a lot of um, first-time buyers enter in the market. We're seeing a lot of bounce-back buyers, you know, people that lost their houses during foreclosure. We're seeing a lot of people that have near equity. You know, they're not quite underwater, but they're near underwater. But the other thing we're seeing, which is really exciting, and depending on your market, we're seeing a huge influx of foreign money in big, you know, ridiculous numbers. Certain parts of California, a lot of Chinese folks, you know, New Jersey, a lot of Polish and, you know, Russian folks, just around the, around the country, there's these booms that are happening that you need to be aware of so that you can benefit from what is going to be a long-term real estate co- recovery. So do you want to talk about that since you brought that up? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. Okay, so if you look back, um, and you can go back to however long home sales have been tracked, and I studied this. I heard somebody say this, and then I studied it. And here's what we discovered. Real estate goes in seven to 10-year cycles. And if you think about it, the real estate boom started in, say, 2000 or 2001, the, you know, the bubble, if you want to call it that. And then there was a crash in, say, 2007. Can we agree to that? Yeah. yeah I, well, um, for the most part. I mean, I You re- can argue on the dates and the months and all okay, that, but right. let's just, in theory. So, okay. Yes. Yeah, that was the seven-year. Right. So that was the, that was the write-up, and then the write-down was arguably 2007 – you know, to roughly 2013 or 2014. Certainly there were markets that were recovering before that. So what we see is um, history repeating itself. So it goes in seven-year cycles. And the thing about a cycle, the thing about uh, being opportunistic is that you, if you're not paying attention, you're not going to realize that you're in the next cycle until it's already halfway over. Right. Many, many agents during the real estate crash were not believing it. They were thinking, oh, it'll bounce back. It's going to come back. This is just temporary, blah, 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 blah. And then it was 2009, 2010, and by that time they burned through their savings, and now they're writing their comeback stories, as we call it. They're rebuilding their savings. They're gaining back their success. A lot of realtors are in that situation. Everyone listening right now, you know, it's 2014, midway through. You're going to be listening to this interview for years to come. Remember, you know, remember this. It's going to be seven to ten years of ever-increasing home sales and opportunity for you. Not in every market. Some of your markets are dead. They're just flat. They're not going to recover. But for the most part, you're going to see a bifurcation where there's going to be markets that are better than they ever were during the boom and agents making more money than they ever have before. Be there, right? When the going gets tough, the smart leave. That could just be like what Julie and I did. We went from one part of Columbus selling real estate and we moved like 20 miles away. When the going gets tough, the smart leave. Be opportunistic. Know your marketplace and embrace the fact that we're, the downward cycle is over. It lasted seven years. And now we're in the upswing of a seven to 10 year real estate cycle. If you have that mindset, what actions, different actions are you going to take now? Make sense? Yeah, totally. It, it, it does. And, and, and look, so, so, um, if I go back, right, listings were used to, used to be in an MLS book and then they came online, right? So then people started looking around their PC. You know, now everything's moving mobile. Um, you know, where, what, how, look, let's talk about spokes, right? How many spokes should people have and, and what should those spokes look like today? And, and where do you see those migrating four years, five years from now? Well, <laughs> That's a good question too. Tell me, damn, with these questions, sorry, man, you're making me sorry, think. Sorry. You're making me think. I had a bunch of stuff written down that was going to not make me think that I wanted to share with you. All right, so let's talk about that. Again, it depends on the individual agent. It depends on their goals. That's that's the easy answer. So not everyone's spokes are going to be the same. Not everyone's going to be looking for the same result. Not everyone has the same income aspirations. So let's just get that out of the way. Got it. Okay. So depending on where you are in your career, depending on basically where you are 
in the country, you're going to have different opportunities. If you're in Austin, Texas, for example, you better sure as heck be paying attention to the new construction that's starting right now. Um, there was, like, in Williamson County, which is just a little bit north of Austin, we have some great coaching students up in that market. Uh, 15,000 new home uh, sites were announced. It was in the local paper. Most agents didn't know about it. Well, that's also a market where there's no resale, where basically sellers are totally in control of the market. But here you are, 15,000 new homes going in in the next few years. What's going to happen to the value of those resale homes? You know, where are the opportunities going to be as those owners of those homes who haven't had a viable option to move up to are now looking at those move-up houses? That is a huge opportunity. So you've got to, you know, realize that individual markets, individual agents, you have different uh, lead generators. Everyone should obviously be focused on the, you know, the gold standard stuff, the centers of influence in the past clients. That's something you should always, always, always take great care of. Um, you know, keep that list handy. Everyone has different suggestions on how you should contact those guys. Julie and I suggest you literally call them every single month. You literally stay in front of them constantly, but not with a message of, you know, send me a referral. Not with a message where you start out by saying something like, well, this is a business call. You have to be providing something of service every time you come in contact with these guys. There's a script and a system we have for that, of course, and if Toby wants to talk about that, we can. But the reality of it is, is it's free. You pick up the phone, you say something that you know people are going to be receptive to. Law of reciprocity means that they're going to, you know, and then it's not a real law, but you get the idea. You open the, someone opens the door for you as you walk into the Starbucks, you're going to be compelled to open the door for them or buy them a cup of coffee. So those are the types of you know thinking behind our systems with centers of influence and past clients. We don't advocate or don't advocate, sorry, uh, pumpkins and pumpkin pies and forget-me-not seeds and all these gimmicky things. Now, going back to an earlier question that Toby asked, those things did work before, but now that five agents in your office are dropping off pumpkin pies to the exact same sellers every November, because remember, your centers of influence and past clients, that list isn't exclusive. Other agents have that list. It's oversaturated. That idea doesn't work anymore. Right. So you start out with your centers of influence and past clients, and then you want to move to whatever is a natural fit for you. There's not a one-size-fits-all answer to your question, Toby. I'm not trying to oh, be no, evasive. I'm just no, being no, honest. I totally agree. And look, here's, here's, here's kind of like one of the things that I see, right? So, so home valuation sites uh, were it's, – it's strange, right? They, they came out, and people were getting tons and tons of leads from these things. More and more people started finding out – more agents finding out about them. And and now everybody's trying to do it. Now I think maybe that boat has sailed a little bit because I talked with a guy. Um, uh, do you know Mitch Reback? I think I've heard of his name. Yeah, he's big. Uh, he's in Florida, and he went as soon as he discovered these home valuation sites, went across the country and started buying up all the all these domains. Um, and it seems to me that there's going to be you know things like that, right? That where you know the home valuation sites are hot and then they're not. And I just you know you are on the cutting edge of well, all. But this. that's not a new idea, dude. That's not a new idea. Housevalues.com, right? I mean, that, that came out back in when Julie and I were selling real estate. It was started by a real estate broker in Seattle. And, you know, they, I think House Values became part of Market Leader, and market, now Market Leader is owned by Trulia. But when House Values came out with that, it was, listen, in Columbus, Ohio, we were the first subscriber to HouseValues.com leads. They were running TV ads, and we were getting fantastic quality leads. We were. And then what happened? They started then selling the same leads to other agents, and then the lead quality went to crap because it was oversaturated. And then it, after about maybe a year, it just didn't have the same level of effectiveness. So that's what happens with a lot of these great ideas. They're just gimmicks at the end of the day. But you can make money from gimmicks. 
Right. 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 You well, can make money from gimmicks. Right. And, and, and you can ride that wave. I mean, going back to what you're saying, right? right. So if you go back into 08, you know, you were, you were telling people to get into, start selling short sales. Now, if I, you mentioned Pat Hyben in our last interview. And, you know, Pat's a, a semi friend of mine. He's been on the show and we've had lots and lots of conversations. Pat was, from what I and you may know better than me, but but how, what Pat expressed to me was prior to the crash, prior to getting into short sales and building that team, he was not really that big of a star, right? He wasn't. He had a he had a mediocre business, but he saw that opportunity, jumped on it, and killed it. I think Leo Priya did the same thing. Um, so, and that's sort of you know what do you see? Um, new construction. That's a great thing to sort of focus on. What other waves do you do you see that might be coming down the road? I'm very interested in, um, like, so pick a market, Toby. The question's too general. Pick a market. Um, pick a part of the country. Okay. Yeah, let's go. Uh, let, uh, so let's go uh, California. That's where I'm at. Well, that's, a, that's an enormous state. I mean, it's practically its own country. Let's pick something that's really interesting, like Manhattan, right? Okay. So, so is that okay? Sure. Okay. So I look at Manhattan, and we've got some of the top agents in Manhattan as personal coaching students. And I love coaching them because their stories are just hilarious. You know, I'm on a coaching call the other day and somebody's like one of these coach and I'm not going to say his name, but he was like showing Katie Holmes properties. And you know, he's telling me about the whole interaction between Katie and what she was looking for. She found this great condo that she liked or apartment. Of course, it was, we're talking about Manhattan. They don't use the word condo there. And, and like her money manager, like put the kibosh on the transaction. I mean, those types of things are fun. Hmm. So, in Manhattan, for example, this is something that, you know, we're talking about short sales, so I'm going to kind of bring in two other things to this idea. If you guys were to do some homework and you were looking even Manhattan where people say, oh, that stuff is on fire, things are selling so fast, there can't be any underwater owners, there are a ton of underwater owners right in the city in the most expensive, you know, cost per square foot area outside of Paris and Tokyo in the world is Manhattan. And so go to property records, find out what people owe, find out how many people are underwater, and New York also has, I believe still, the slowest foreclosure process of anywhere in the country. Start calling those underwater owners. They aren't getting solicited by any else, anyone else. They know they're headed for foreclosure. And offer them your services. Use the scripts that we give agents to use. But I'll, show you, I'll tell you another really interesting example. Because those houses of those underwater owners, because of the antiquated foreclosure process in New York State, um, there's a lack of inventory causing prices to go up. Figure that one out in your head. So tons of underwater owners, lack of inventory, even though if those properties were for sale, that market would probably deflate a little bit. The c- condo conversions in Manhattan. If you are in Manhattan and you're listening right now, really anywhere in the city or down to Jersey, when you list a multifamily property right now, the opportunity is to figure out how to convert that to a development of condos. And there is so much money in that. Um, when you look at, for example, some of these, uh, I have, I have uh, students, coaching clients, that are working with developers who are walking into these situations where it's like an old apartment building or it's old and whatnot, and they can take these and they can convert these and, and make literally millions of dollars of profit off of them. So what, depending on your market, like uh, several of my coaching students, what I have them doing is hunting down, obviously, the underwater owners. And obviously, if the building is something they convert into multiple units, that's a cash cow. And then they get multiple streams of income. They'll buy the unit. They'll, you know, sell it. I'm sorry. They'll sell the unit to a developer. The developer will then obviously convert it or restore it or whatever, make them into individual units. And then that same agent then gets the upside of the resale. Then a lot of those folks that are buying those, you know, newly rehabbed apartments have properties to sell. And you can just basically watch, wash, rinse, and repeat 
in that particular market, that's a huge opportunity. Now, if you're like, for example, in, well, I mean, Austin, we mentioned that. New construction is where it's going to be at. Go to the new construction home reps. And a lot of these guys are brand new, new home, home construction home reps because the builders are just now adding staff. They don't have existing relationships with realtors that are set in stone. Now, think about this. In Austin, as an example, the average sale price in Georgetown of the new construction that's getting built is going to be in the 400s on up. In Texas, that is a big number. So Hmm. there's an excellent chance that whoever's moving up to that house is going to have a property to sell. You go to that new build rep. You basically, in the, we have several systems that basically make it so that new build rep will want to keep you as their, you know, the business card they hand out when they run into a potential build client who has a house to sell. You know, you get those relationships with two or three different new build reps. That is going to be a nice steady spoke for you. Will it last forever? Probably not. But it's going to be a really sweet way for you to get ahead of the market, you know, to get ahead of where the market's going. You walk into the new build rep area, talk to the new build person, ask them what the development plans are, you know, knowing basically from public information they're probably playing on hundreds if not thousands of homes, and ask them what they're doing with the seller or the buyers that walk in that have properties to sell. Get the listings. Hmm. You know, figure out a system so you can get, maybe get yourself on the buy side contract so you can make money not only in the resale, but you can also make money on the what? New construction that they're building. So again, depending on the market you're in, there's tremendous opportunity. I'm thinking about my clients in uh, Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. is a explosive market into the, you know, the different states that you know, a lot of people will commute from every day. Different kinds of opportunities there with a lot of relocating. But th- that market's really sweet because you have so many people that every time the administration changes, <laughs> have to relocate out and the new ones relocate in. So, again, it really does depend. Now, you might be somebody who doesn't feel like being out there. Let's say your goal is to earn $100,000 a year. What I would coach you towards, what any of our coaches would coach you towards, are what your greatest strengths are now. We'd ask you where your past clients came, where your business and closed transactions have come from. We'd ask you, we'd really get to kind of get in your head and understand where your natural abilities are. And then we would go for, we would help you get better at those things before we introduce something new to you that you're totally uncomfortable with. So this one-size-fits-all coaching approach is obsolete. It's very 20th century. It doesn't work. A lot of you guys have been involved in other coaching companies before, you know, been involved as in it didn't work for you. It didn't work for you because it doesn't work. It didn't work for you not because you're defective, because what you're being told worked before 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago but it doesn't work in 2014, 15, and 16. So just embrace the opportunity that this market is. It's incredible. Yeah, so that's interesting, Tim. Uh, so, you know, uh, what, you know, what worked obviously 30 years ago is not going to work today. You know, what people, um, so NAR came out with a stat and the, the, the group that is buying the most houses, 31% are, are millennials, right? And it's only, you know, it, pretty much it was even across the board, but millennials are 31 and boomers were 29 or something like that. Um, so, so, you know, what those millennials, if, you, if those are, they're selling real estate, as well as buying, you know, they're going to default to what's working today and what didn't exist 30 years is social media. So, you know, maybe, and I'm good at social media, right? One of the things you said earlier is you find out what they're good at and kind of double down and get them better at that. Um, what, what would you say to that person who says, Hey, Tim, you know, look, I'm really good at social media and I have, you know, 5,000 friends and, uh, that's how I want to, that's what I want to mine in, in, to find, uh, you know, prospects or that's how I want to prospect. Well, it's awesome. I love it. I mean, if that's what you're comfortable doing, 
Um, I absolutely 100% agree. I'm 44. You're 44, yeah. Toby. I mean, people that are, you and I are like right on the edge of, you know, of understanding the whole right. social media thing. I mean, yeah. people, I don't know how many years younger than us. You know how you can tell how old somebody is? It's how fast they can type on their mobile phones. You right. notice that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have to look at the keyboard, you know, but I, when I'm around somebody that's like, you know, only five years younger than me, they're like able to have a conversation while they're typing away. I don't understand. That. I don't either. Anyway. It, 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 it actually frustrates me, man. Cause I'm, I'm like, look at me, you know, don't look, you know, anyhow. Um, but well, no, no, see, dude, you're, you just touched on it, right? So the social media and stuff, the online relationships have to take, be taken offline. Yeah. So there was a study that was done, and you just 100% made an awesome point. Um, where, how people go about making a decision, who they're going to hire to provide, to, to really, let's just focus on to provide a service, right? And I don't remember these numbers, and I'm going to kind of wing it because I don't remember the exact statistics, but I'll, just to make a point. So if you had to today hire a roofer, so Toby, I'll walk you through this. Okay. So um, do you know a roofer? Uh, I do. Okay, well, that's a bad example. Sorry. I'll say no, <laughs> let's, I don't. Let's, okay, there you go. Yeah. So you don't know a roofer. So you don't personally know somebody. So what are you going to do first? You're going to probably go to your friends and your family and people that you trust that maybe might know a roofer, and you're going to ask for a referral then, correct? Um, here's what I'll actually do. Um, I, I want to play. Walk, along walk with... me through this. Walk me through this. I'm okay. saying traditionally, we're not going to bring. I'll bring. I'll, I'll, I'll full circle it in a okay. second. All right. So yeah, that, that's traditional. Right. Traditionally, so you're yes. Gonna, you're going to ask. Right. So the first thing is, who do I know that I trust that I've used before? The second question is going to be, okay, if I don't know anybody, it's going to be, okay, I'm going to ask for a trusted friend or advisor. This is the traditional pre-social media thing. I, yes, I agree. And the last one is, is I'm going to respond to an ad. That's how everybody goes through making the buying decision traditionally. So what social media has done, it's basically in a lot of ways replaced the first two categories of buying decision making. So who do you know now could be who you actually know in real life or who you know online that you trust that maybe is one of your friends or someone you've conversed with through social media. So it's been blurred, and it even comes more blurry when you start working on the referral aspect of it. So the traditional paths of, that someone would go through when hiring a real estate practitioner would be, who do I know? You know, Who have I used in the past? If I don't know somebody, then I might go to the referral aspect. Who do I know that you know, can send me a referral? That's, you see, guys, how the buy referral only stuff, this is the reason it doesn't work at the same level as it used to. Still works, not at the same level. Please be clear what I'm saying. And the last thing and the least effective way to go after business is advertising. Statistically, if I remember correctly, it was something like less than 10% of everyone makes their decision who they're going to hire to do any kind of service, let alone list or sell their real estate a home based on advertising. And the biggest bulk of people make their decision on who they've used in the past. Those first two categories are now online prominently, especially with people that are only marginally younger than Toby and myself. So they're going to go to their social media. They're going to go to their Facebook. They're literally going to, you know, that's how they're going to make their buying decisions. So absolutely, guys, you have to be online. But please be clear, your ability to make money is going to be what happens offline, not online. The yep. online is the meeting. Yep. The online is maybe the re relationship reinforcing. The after the online contact happens is where the magic happens. I 100% agree. And, and just to, to tack on to that, I mean, that, that's why, you know, that's why, you know, what I tell people is wherever you can throw up a free profile, you know, whether it's, it's Yelp, it's about.me, wherever you can throw up a free profile, throw it on there and try to get, you know, that you need social proof, right? Especially those millennials, right? If you're, or, or really anybody, if I hear about you, I'm going to vet you 
online. When I go online, I, I better see you and I better see some kind of social proof that you do what you say you do, which is you're, you provide awesome service with selling real estate. You're talking about citation sites, right? So well, yeah, there are probably, there are probably 20 or 30, um, high page rank citation sites. That's your LinkedIn. That's your, right. you know, those types of sites. So you do have to do, you know, I don't have a business relationship with these guys, but there's a great company out there. Um, I talked to one of the owners called brandyourself.com. I don't know if you checked them out, Toby. No, I've never heard of them. But I like, it's basically all it is, is reputation management SEO stuff. But at the end of the day, their approach is white hat. It's, you know, above board. It's per Google specs. And uh, if you guys are looking to, uh, remember, delegate, don't abdicate your online everything Toby and I are talking about to build that sort of online presence for yourself, you guys should check out brandyourself.com. Again, I have no dog in that hunt. Use them or don't. Um, I like their, I like their ethos. Yeah. And, and look, and again, just, just, you know, I really truly believe, right. So if you go to, if you're in a listing appointment and you're, you know, one of the things you're going to say is you're going to say, Hey, listen, I, you know, I have this strong network and that's how I'm going to sell your house, you know, for fastest and for the most money, you know, you should really, you know, everybody should try to have 500 plus LinkedIn contacts. Cause I will check that stuff. And if you, and if you say you have a strong network, but you don't have 500 you know, plus LinkedIn contacts, you know, you're going to lose a lot of credibility with me. Um, well, let's talk, let's talk about what you just said, if you don't okay. mind. Yeah, no, let's go. We, to be a successful listing agent, you know what the secret is? No. There was one secret. Drop it. There's one answer. Okay, be the agent who has the listing when it sells. Now, right now, we're at the height of what feels like a seller's market. As we go six months, 12 months, 24 months forward for all kinds of reasons, it's going to gravitate back towards a normal market, and you're going to see a dramatic, depending on your market increase and expires. So agents who have not realized where the market is headed are overpricing, not getting price reductions because they've never had to do it before, especially in California. They don't know how to get price reductions. They're going to lose their listings. You know, if you guys are listening to this live or, you know, at June and July of 2014, check out what the market looks like in November, December of, of 2014 going into 2015. Huge opportunity for expires. So it's the old Wayne Gretzky thing, be where the puck is going to be. Um, I forgot what got me on that tangent, by the way. No, that's okay. Um, that's what we were, we, were talk, we're, we were talking about LinkedIn, but so let me. Go. All right, right. So, yeah. Well, but hold on. So, yeah. what causes a house to sell? What you know, we have um, as superstars, coaching clients, some of the guys from the Bravo TV show, and you guys watch that show, selling you know New York or selling LA, and you're going to watch these guys throwing these parties and doing all this stuff. That's just the TV show. What causes a house to sell is price. When it comes down to selling real estate, it's price, condition, and location, right? And so, Mr. Seller, rolling into a script here, I can't, you know, condition-wise, Mr. Seller, are you planning on changing anything dramatic about the house? Adding a bedroom, remodeling a kitchen? No. Okay. So location is the location is. It's not like we can, you know, pick the house up and turn it and move it on a different street. So the only thing we can have a positive effect on, Mr. Seller, is the price. So when it comes to selling real estate, the bottom line is when it's priced correctly, even in a, you know, bad seller's market, the house will sell. It's always coming down to price. Your job in, as a realtor who is going to learn how to be a successful listing agent, especially if we're coaching you, is to convince the seller to list the house with you. The selling of the house comes down to price. Your job is to convince them that you're the one that's, uh, that has enough experience to present them on the market, present their house, their product on the market. And after that, if you price it accordingly, it will sell out of the MLS. Now, 
as your coach, I don't want you to have that mindset, but the reality of it is is that what it is. when you list a house, your mindset has to be, I'm going to sell the listing myself, and you need to do everything in your power to double in the listing yourself because then you can obviously double your income. But to sell a property, it, it, the social networking, the fancy brochures, the virtual tours done by drone, the fancy websites, all that stuff it, are just basically gimmicks. And I, you know, I understand. I did them when I sold real estate too, to placate the seller, to get the listing. But after you get the listing, you price it correct, you put it in MLS, it's going to sell itself for the most part. Again, if we were coaching you, I would teach you how to sell it yourself so you can double your income. So it, it's, there's no black magic to this whole industry. It's very, very cut and dry. Right. I love that, man. Um, you're the first guy, really, Tim, that has come on and, and has had that sort of like, hey, do everything in your power to sell your own listing. I, I, and I just, for some reason, you know, I knew that, right? But for some reason, you saying that to me right now just really, some, for some reason, man, really reinforced how, how important that, how much of an opportunity you have to, to, again, what you said, double your income because you have that listing. I'll tell you. Well, um, you know the list. Go ahead. You, you know the inventory better than anybody else. You know the house better than anybody else. And by the way, when you're presenting to a seller, doesn't the seller expect you to sell the house yourself? Isn't that why they're hiring you? Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. You know, I had a guy on the show, um, Denny Grimes. I don't know if you know him. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a Howard Britton star. He was a Howard Britton star from Julie and I's era. He's, but he's, he's like our age. Uh, maybe it's not. I don't know Is if it's. He? Yeah. Well, I don't, maybe it's not the same guy. This guy just got a TV show. <clears throat> he look. He he just got a TV show. He does this interesting thing. This is what he does. This is, and this is how he got his TV show. Uh, and the TV show is called 60 Seconds to Sell. And what he does, what what his method is, he he lists a house, um, and he uh, puts it on the market. He promotes it, and he promotes it. Hey, listen, I'm only going to hold the house open on next Tuesday for two hours. That's it. He has everybody come through, and he make and, and in order to gain entry into the open house, you, you know, you, you, they have to give uh, provide contact information, and then uh, and then when they're leaving, he says, "Hey, would you?" Oh, but I'm sorry, I missed the crit- the critical piece is if it if the house is worth three hundred grand, he'll list it for hundred and fifty grand. So he lists it for half of what it's worth. So he gets all these people excited. They come through when they're leaving. Says, "Hey, would you like to make an offer?" They say yes, and he puts them on a phone call. He calls everybody once. They make their offer. He takes the top three and then pits those top three together. So he literally will sell your house within that two-hour time block, and that's it. And that's how he got it's a show. It's an auction model. It's an auction model, it's, right? right? It's I an mean, auction model. A, right, but, yeah. he, but what he says is he says when it comes to price, price doesn't matter because market sets the price, and I will always get fair market value for the house. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, in Australia, that's how they sell. We have coaching clients in Australia, and they—that's how it's always been done. You know, yeah. in, in most of the world, in most of the world, Toby, did you know there's no co-op? I mean, even markets that have very similar real estate systems. In England, there is no co-op. There's no real centralized MLS. This is a unique American thing. Huh. You know. Yeah, well, you know, look, I I have a coaching client in Australia as well, and and on the it's it's strange on the like his credentials, right? Uh, and I never knew that, but I never asked him either. But it says auctioneer, like it's like uh, yeah, that's why. So yeah, I think that's and I think that will be a that's a predictable trend, right? But not so. Why won't sellers go for that? For the same reason that when you go to a classic car auction or you watch one on TV. You know, sometimes these guys do no-reserve auctions, and you're doing a no-reserve auction. That means that someone could underbid the value of the thing and get it. Right. So the, the seller's fear of not selling it for market value is what has, I think, prevented in a lot of cases 
auctions really taking off in the United States. Got it. Um, and, and, and just real quick, I want to move on to something else, but you, you shared with us a great line in the last episode. When somebody wants to list their house for more than it's worth in, in the current environment, share again really quickly that line being ahead that you, that. Oh, right. So actually, I got this from the, uh, you know, I, I collect, uh, I collect classic Porsches, right? And so I go to all the auctions and I pay all, pay attention to all the auctions that happen all over the world. And, one of the things when, you know, a seller doesn't meet their expectations that the auctioneer will always say to the seller, you know, not to make the seller mad is, well, you know, you're just ahead of the market, right? right. So you're just ahead of the market with your expectations. But, you know, again, you're getting back to that great conversation we're having on how to overcome the seller's ego-based reluctance to price correctly. Yeah, I mean, it all goes back to understanding if you ever find yourself uh, feeling like, you're against your seller. Again, we focus virtually all of our energies on teaching agents how to be uh, listing agents because listing agents always will have the control. Listing agents will always have the power. Buyer leads will rain from the skies when you have listings. So get listings. Learn how to be a listing agent. Don't think if you're only focusing on buyers, you are missing the best part of the industry. You're missing the part that has true leverage. You're missing the way that you can actually build wealth. But, you know, when you take, when you're in a situation where you're feeling like you're sitting across the table from the seller, in other words, you're not their ally, you're their combatant, you're going to lose the listing and they're not going to trust you. So how you phrase things, how you say things matters. And it really matters if you want to be truly successful in this industry. I 100% agree. And look, if you, if you can build a business that is based on listings, right, you, what you can build is you can build a predictable business. You know, when you focus on buyers, it's, you know, it's hit or miss. You can, you're, you can never predict from one month to another what you're going to make, but you, you, you can build a predictable business if you if you work on the listing side. You, you got it, man. It, it, so can we walk through something that I really love? I think that your listeners will love to. Yeah, yeah, of course. All right. Can you, can you be the agent? Can you yeah, take this role? Play? Okay. All right. So this is – okay, Julie and I do free coaching calls. We'll do two or three a day. Literally, they're free. You usually have to schedule two or three weeks out. The website's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. So I'll get an agent on the phone. And, you know, they're confused. I'm buying buyer leads from Zillow and Trulia. I've got this lead source and that lead source. And, you know – Nothing's really working. It worked before, but it's not working now. That's what I constantly hear. It worked five years ago, but it's not working now. They're totally, completely confused. Should I build a team? Who should I find? Okay, here's how we clear the table. I'm going to do it with you. Toby, um, I have a question for you. Can you imagine a time in your market in San Diego where you had 10 listings at all times? In other words, your new, your minimum standard for Toby's real estate is 10 listings at all times. Can you imagine that? Uh, yes, I can imagine that. Okay, excellent. So, Toby, correct me if I'm wrong, but in your marketplace in San Diego, the average sale price is going to be right around $700,000. Is that correct? Uh, the average is about five hundred. Okay, 500000 No worries. So that means that so let's just focus on the top-line numbers, and let's assume that you're taking market rate commissions, and let's assume that every time you sell a $500,000 listing, you're going to make $15,000. Can we agree to that? We can. Okay. Now, I realize that in your market, Toby, that you are in a seller's market for the most part. But uh, let's just say for the sake of conversation, if you had 10 listings at all times, that out of the MLS, priced correctly, you'd have three or four sell per month. Conceivable, yes? Yep. Okay. If you had 10 listings at all times, and you were making $15,000 every time one sold, Toby, 
you would be making an average of $720,000 per year. That's the real number. In all actuality, you'd make more than that because you would have more than three or four sell per month because your market's hot right now. Right. How does that work? 15000 times four, 60 grand, 60 grand times 12 is $720,000 a year. That's how much money you'd make if you had 10 listings at all times. How does that resonate considering all the other things that you had going on in your head? How, does that, how do you feel about that? I love it. I love it. How do I get to 10? All right. Thank you for asking that question. So here's how it works. You've been on a plane many times before, I'm sure. So, you know, let's just, you know, I'm not a pilot, but I've certainly been on tons of planes. When you are taking off, there's, there's three stages to any flight, right? There's taking off, there's cruising, and there's landing. Where does the pilot use most of its fuel? Taking off, cruising, or landing? Taking off. Right. You have to break the forces of gravity. That's when you're on the plane and the plane's shaking and rattling and rolling and, you know, some people get really nervous. I mean, you know, Julie is very, she hates takeoff. She always grabs my hand and so my fingers turn blue. You know, so taking off is when the plane uses most of its fuel. At your stage, and this is true with most free coaching calls because they're having to embrace the concept of being a listing agent. You're going to have to determine and decide that you're going to put yourself in a state, a mental state, where you're willing to put in the work that no matter what, no matter what, you're going to keep that throttle down so you can reach up to cruising altitude. Because right. let's go back to that you're on the plane. Let's say you're flying the plane. If you all of a sudden go from full throttle because you're trying to reach 30,000 feet so you can be at cruising altitude, and you pull back on the throttle, what happens to the plane? It dips. It dips or worse, right? And that's what most realtors do. They'll yep. go from massive effort. They'll basically, they're, they have some, you know, financial tiger chasing them. They'll get in production. They'll make some money. They'll get some stuff in contract. In other words, the tiger chasing them is the plane taking off the maximum fuel. They're focused on being frosty and going after opportunities. They accomplish the financial goal or at least have some respite of financial stress. And then they stop doing what they were supposed to do. And then they crash back down. And that's where you should, that's the reason that realtors don't have cash flow. They have cash spurts because they're constantly going from making the right efforts, then stop making them. Right efforts, stop. So if you think about that plane, you're on that plane. If your goal is to get to cruising altitude, because here's cruising altitude. Cruising altitude is when we have 10 listings at all times, when you have then only to replace what sells per month. Some months it'll be three and four. Some months, let's say in January, it might be two. Over the course of the year, if you have 10 listings at all times, and that is your business model, nothing more. We don't talk about buyer leads. We don't talk about any of this other stuff. Just getting to and maintaining 10 listings at all times. Clearing the runway and getting to cruising altitude is your goal. It is, does require a lot of work. Depending on your willingness to work, depending on your existing skill set, it could take you anywhere from realistically 90 to maybe 180 days to get up to and maintain that consistent level because new skills are going to have to be formed. New habits are going to have to be you know, pursued. But once you're there, everything gets better. So the question is, is when you're at cruising altitude and you're making that consistent income, you know, where do you, when do you decide to land? And the answer is never. You never land. <laughs> so if you've now mastered the ability to get to and maintain 10 listings at all times, and let's say you decide you want to buy a house in Cabo, right? Then you say, you put in your head, okay, if I can get to 10 listings at all times, I bet I can relatively easily get to 15 listings at all times and fit, add, what, 50 to 100% income per year. Then you do what you did before, more effort, get it up to a certain level, get in the habit of replacing what sells, 
Guys, that is the beauty of being a listing agent. You don't have to fill your mind with all this other garbage, all this other noise. Just focus all your best energies on getting to and maintaining what Julie and I call your magic number. Not everybody, it's 10 listings. Some people, it's five. Some people, it's 50. Depends on your goals. Depends on your average sale price. Right. Okay. So look, so number, a, a, a couple things here that, that I love. Number one, right. That was a, that was a free coaching call. And the, the, you did a couple things with me. Number, you know, you, you took me through this process. For me, you helped me see like, Hey, this equals, you know, 700 grand. You know, how does that make you feel? That feels great. I, I would love to, you know, make $700,000. Um, uh, and number two, what you did, which was interesting to me, right. You brought your own personal life into it. You made, you personalized you as Tim. And cause you said, Hey, you know what? Julie gets scared and she grabs my hand. And I, and I think, you know, that's something that when people go on listing appointments that they should certainly do. It's not all business, you know, get that personal touch in there and make them like you, make them feel for you. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I want to work with people that I, I like. So I love that you did that really quickly. Cause again, we're going to have to start wrapping up here. And I know you're a little bit long-winded. You tell good stories, Tim. Um, <laughs> well, but you but you just said something, right? Learn to be a great storyteller. That matters. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you said it more succinctly than I did, but yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. So, and that does matter. Um, so certainly, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy into that. I'm gonna say yes, Tim. I know that I need to have I, ten listings at all time. I'm gonna work my sphere because that's what I know I need to work. W- where would you for the for the you know average person out there um what is the next thing that they should like what next you know is it do i go honestly toby it depends on their market it depends on them as individuals but you know it it really it honestly depends i've got a guy that's in um houston and he is uh for a long time he was he was a red tennis uh, like national tennis player you know kind of thing and now he's a professional uh tennis coach um, he's been doing it for a long time. He's gotten more and more into real estate. Wants to figure out how to transition one to the other. I said, dude, you got to keep teaching those tennis lessons. And you've got to integrate into what you're already doing, what you have passion for, real estate transactions. And he started to do it, and he's obviously starting to get momentum from that. So depending on your individual market and, your, and what you come to the table with when you hire us as your coach, we're going to, again, focus on your – this is the low-hanging fruit, you know. What, Toby, like you're into racing and you're into cars and you you have personal interests. I'm going to focus on those things first, and I'm going to ask you where you got your transact, where have you done, how have you sourced deals in the past, and then we're going to we're going to work on all the easy stuff and making it better for you as far as lead generation, and then we're going to add more spokes. Some people will come to the coaching and they'll say, I don't want to do anything proactive, right? I don't want to call anybody. I don't want to do anything. Okay, fine. So you want to build a passive business. No worries. I can help you do that too. So then we talk about the different types of things you can do where you are essentially buying leads. You're doing marketing. You're, you're, focused, you're, you're going to the different websites and you're willing to pay a 20 or 30% referral fee. You're doing stuff like that. It honestly depends on the person. Um, okay. But um, I can understand. So look, if we go back to what you do. Um, you, the first thing you start with is the easy stuff, right? We, 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 you, you look at the, the, what they're good at and you help them kind of master those things before learning new skills. There, there has to be uh, on average, like what is generally the next skill that, that people will learn from you or you will teach them? Uh, well, let me ask, what do you, what do you think of farming? Are you asking, are you asking skills or are you asking lead generation question? Help me understand. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I, I, I kind of messed that up and I, I really want to talk about the lead gen side of it. You know, what, what do you think about farming? Is, is farming something that everybody should do? Is that, should that be a a spoke for everybody? 
No. I mean, no. It depends on where you are in your real estate business. If you've already got, so it's a passive thing, right? It's not proactive. If you've got enough consistent, if you get to the 10, most agents can get to that level um, of 10 at all times or whatever their number is depending on their average sale price. If they want to make 500000 and their average sale price is a million dollars, I mean, obviously they need fewer listings. They need maybe five listings at all times. Um, teaching someone to be situationally aware or what we call frosty, teaching agents to really be excellent at lead follow-up, teaching agents to ask the right questions in the right order, most times, and then obviously making them better what they're already good at, for most agents will help them, will basically get them uh, to cruising altitude, depending on the individual. Now let's say you're wanting to sell 100 houses, and let's say the reason you're wanting to sell 100 houses is because you're you know, leading with profit, you're saving money off every transaction, you want to save up a certain amount of money so you can buy a certain number of rental properties to have the passive money coming from, okay, I get all that. So that's your, you have big aspirations, and I love that. We're going to start with doing more proactive stuff. So you are going to have to do some of the traditional stuff. We are going to go after the expires. We are going to go after the for sale by owners. We are going to go after uh, the notice defaults. We are going to go after all the people that we know are already in the marketplace with their hands up in their air mm. and saying, Toby, I have to sell my house. The problem with farming is it works, but you're then sending this postcard or this whatever, and we, Julie and I did farming too, and I have plenty of coaching clients that do it, but the reason it can't be one of your first spokes on your wheel, using this you know, continued analogy, is because it takes too long. It's not consistent enough. It's too passive. If you come to me and you say, I've got a lot of money, I don't have to work, and I've got coaching clients like that who are come to us as millionaires, you know, for whatever reason they have millions of dollars, they don't have to work, they're not wanting to make phone calls, they want to do a geographic farm, I'll tell you what I really like for that is magazines. There's a guy I'm coaching right now who's got a brilliant product, which is gorgeous homes magazine. Very, I mean, he can help you zero cost it through, you know, having advertisers in your magazine. So if you're going to do uh, farming to your question, Toby, yeah. go big or go home. Don't do whatever everybody else is doing. Do something that's completely different. That as soon as that, uh, prospective seller has it in their hand, they're going to be, wow, this is incredible. I mean, so if you're going to do things, you've got to do things at the next level. You can't be doing what everybody else is doing. Right. I, 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 um, that's interesting. Um, uh, I somewhat agree with that. But you know, when, I, when I think of farming, I, think of a, I had on the show a guy named Thatch Nguyen. I don't, I, do, you, I don't, do you know who that is? Yeah. So Thatch, he told me the story of you know his he knocked on a hundred doors a day for ten years and you know and well what, we're talking about different things, dude. That's not um, farming. I totally really? am advocating that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, I, Help it's me. not the same thing. That's being proactive. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's different. So yeah, t- yeah, t- I agree with you. It, well, that's hundred percent. I agree with that. Tell yeah. me, tell me you because because I mean, educate me, Tim. Tell me your definition of farming. What does that mean to you? Well, okay. There's a question, right? So Thatch is a great example of somebody who proactively goes after the business. He understands the power of the contact. And what most agents, what most people think of farming, Toby, is that they're going to mail something and they're going to hope their phone rings. Thatch mm. is being proactive and he's going after the business. Hello, this is who I am. This is what I do. And he's going to stay there, <laughs> say what he's supposed to say, and go to the next one because he has specific contacts because he knows so many contacts are going to result in so many, you know, what, what result he's trying to pursue. Right. What most agents do is they'll take a direct mail piece or they'll do something that's totally passive 
hoping and praying that they get a, a desired result. Got so it. We're, we're kind of talking about the same thing. But if you're asking me, so it's proactive versus passive marketing, right? Okay. Yeah. Got it. What, what else? I, that's, um, that's interesting to me. I just, for me, I lumped all that in together. You know, for me, like when I think of, hey, do you have a farm, um, that you, it's, you are certainly proactive and you, you know, you're proactively knocking on the doors and you're doing, and look, so let's talk about really quickly, like passive prospecting. Cause I talk about this somewhat and like, for me, like passive prospecting or passive marketing is, you know, that is having, you know, your, your, uh, your car magnets, you know, say, hey, Tim Harris real estate, you know, maybe wearing your company colors at all times, you know, maybe having a name badge that says Tim Harris real estate. Hey, I'm Tim. You know, what, what other, how else would you, uh, what other things would you lump into passive? Well, Toby, virtually everything that's being taught to agents is passive. Mm. I mean, think about it. Everything that's being taught to agents is passive. Passive is easy as hell to sell to agents because you can tell them they don't have to have any skills and they don't have to do anything. And the world's going to rain leads on them. Look what's being sold to agents. Go to the NAR convention or your state convention. Every single booth is some whiz-bang idea where you slapped in your credit card number and they're going to you know, send you leads. Right. That's passive. Right. But okay. listen, let's, let's be clear. Passive can work. But most agents don't come to this industry with a war chest of cash. And I sure as hell don't want you guys going into debt. You've got to lead with revenue. Your point of selling real estate is to save money so you can build wealth. The definition of rich is where your money works for you. You no longer have to work for your money. So if you never develop the skills, the proactive skills, then if all you try to do is the passive stuff, you're going to accumulate massive amounts of debt waiting for the business to show up. Got it. Got it. Interesting. Okay, that's cool, man. Hey, listen, um, it, I don't know if you can be a little bit brief because I don't want to go over, but uh, I'm going to ask you a question uh, that because you have so much here, Tim, and that sometimes you know, with this, I have guys like you come on the show, and I can think of a handful of guys that for me, man, it, you're hard to wrangle. Right. You know, my job as a, as a host is I, I need to try to, like, you know, guide you and get the nuggets out. And, uh, you know, again, you're hard to wrangle, man. So tell me something. Here's the question. Is there something I didn't ask you that I should have asked you that would be valuable to the audience? The know? most. Yes. Uh, uh, this is something that nobody talks about because it's totally unsexy. It's not interesting and it doesn't sell. Right. So if you're trying to sell stuff to, uh, to realtors, most realtors are going to be opportunistic and look for the passive stuff. And here it is. There's two things. You know, success comes from doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. What does that mean? When you don't, you know, most agents will only do the proactive things, the things that will make the money, when they feel a certain way. Right. If you wait around to feel a certain way, you're never going to get anywhere. You've got to basically accept the fact that the discipline of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it, and on the other side of that is magic. Now, and here's the tail end of that one. Repetitious boredom pays off. You know, being bored, not always looking for the excitement of life in business, that's where you're supposed to be. When you have a boring, consistent business, that's, where the pro- that's when the profits start happening. An exciting business with lots of drama, a lot of people get addicted to that. You're not going to make any money that way. You're not going to help enough people that way. So accept the fact that repetitious boredom pays off and doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's where on the other side of that, that's where the magic is. Many agents don't, they'll, they'll, you know, it's, it's focus, right? Follow one course until it's successful. Yeah. They'll pop tart from, they'll pop tart from one agent, uh, from one idea to the next. Yep. And Toby, your questions were kind of geared towards a lot of those ideas. The trendy money-making, 
you know, get-rich-quick type gimmicks. And let's be clear, some of them work for a short period of time, but they won't work for a long period of time if you ever hope to be successful, you know, really successful, not just a couple of good years. You have to embrace the fact that repetitious boredom pays off in doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it. That's the hard part. Yeah. At the highest level, which is the most important part, on the other side of that is everything you want out of life. Yeah, and, and I mean that's that play, pleasure pain thing, right? Everybody runs toward pleasure and away from pain. And if you can reverse that and run towards the pain, uh, you know that's where that's where you'll find success. Hey, Tim, man, uh, it's been a delicious uh, interview, and this is the part two of of two hours. We've been on the phone for two hours and seventeen minutes. You've been talking nonstop. I I, I drank two bottles of water, dude. I mean, I, I, how's your throat not super dry? I do this shit for a living. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, seriously. I mean, you know, when you're going to be a great coach, you have to be able to have luck. Okay, doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. Got it. You know, hope, hopefully we delivered, um, even though I'm sure both of us would have rather maybe been at the beach, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, I and, mean, at the end of the no, yeah. so, so I just – two questions to, to wrap up. One is um, – do you have a personal habit? Do you think? I mean, look, you you and Julie have been successful. You guys were high school sweethearts. You know, you had a yep. a, a successful um, business when you were in high school. I think the the auto detailing thing. You wrote a book, yep. speaking tours. You've had this 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 magical life of success. It, is there a habit, Tim, that you have that you think has has you know led to that success that people can can model? Well, so um, it's an interesting question, but it hasn't just been. You know, don't label things like success or a failure. Get in the habit of saying it's too soon to tell. So when you have a failure, when something really kicks you in the head and you just feel like, you know, this is the worst thing ever, tell yourself it's too soon to tell. When you have a huge success, when you're the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, where people are getting tattoos of your face on their arms, just say it's too soon to tell. You've got to operate in the middle. You can't, if, if you say, I am a failure, I had a bad experience, then you won't learn from that experience. If you say, I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread, look, at, I just kicked the world's butt, then you won't learn what you were supposed to learn from that experience. You have to stay operating in the middle. So when you say, we've had a long string of successes, I suppose that's true, but we've also had a long string of failures. And I bet you for every one success we've had, we've had probably 10 failures, but if you ask me what they were, I wouldn't really differentiate them from the successes because the failures led to the successes and the successes led to the failures. I mean, it's all a path. It's a journey. Got it. I love it, man. So it's the mindset. That's what it is. It's the mindset. You know, it's the, uh, I mean, I love my wife. I love my life. I love what we do for a living. You know, I love my baby daughter. You know, I, Congratulations I lucky. on that, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I know that Jillian, I don't want to use the word lucky because that's, I think luck is one of those things that people will say to themselves, I don't have what I want because the other person was lucky. So forgive me for saying that, but the reality of it is is that uh, the passion comes when you know you're making a difference being of service to other people. The passion comes when you are able to take care of the people you love. The passion and the feeling of success comes when you do that consistently over a long term. So I'll accept that as a compliment, and I do appreciate being on your radio show. No problems. I'd love to have you back. The last question I always ask him is, I'm an aspiring agent. I have 25 bucks. What book should I go buy today? Well, I'll make it easy on you. <clears throat> Email me directly, <laughs> okay. and I'll give you a copy of Think and Grow Rich, the real estate edition that Julie and I published earlier this year. 
Wow. It's on Amazon for like it's on Amazon for twenty bucks. It's Napoleon Hill's classic Think and Grow Rich. Julie and I updated it, added some specific content for real estate agents. Think and Grow Rich, um, the real estate edition on Amazon. Um, you know, you can email me directly at coachtimharris at gmail.com. That's my private email address. I just gave out my private email address to all your listeners, but that's okay. Um, and I'll email you a copy of that book. And if, Toby, you want to, you know, edit this and have them send you know, to a different URL so you can do lead capture, it's up to you. No, no, that's fine. That's I'm, Yeah, I'm not worried about it. I, I pretty much have, I, you know, if it, yeah. I have my own little book uh, that I just – actually, my new copy got released on my uh, on my site. And uh, everybody can go check it, super, superagentslive.com. And uh, I wrote, a like, a 32-page book. It's called How to Sell. So, hey, Tim, again, thank you so much for coming on. I, I, I really appreciate it. I'm, I know my audience has probably taken – 18 pages of notes. I certainly did as we went along. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Well, let's, let's, w, again, thank, thank, thank you for your contribution to the real estate industry. You're actually a really nice, fresh breath uh, in the questions you ask, and I love how you're honestly inquisitive about helping people become successful. I find that, um, you know, that's unique in our industry, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, man. All right, bud. Hey, well, let's, let's keep in touch. All right, great. See you, man. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. For those of you that want to know what we're all about, it's like this, y'all. This is 10% luck, 20% skill, 15% concentrated power of will, 5% pleasure, 50% pain, and 100% This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.